The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson. Jim Crockett for Starcade, 605 NWA, TV title, Cajun Omni, The Bunkhouse Stampede, Flair and Horseman, Garvin, Bogey, Magnum, Dusty, Express Tactics, Turner, Bonin, Mid-South, Joy World Championship Wrestling. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotion. Tony and friends thought they win, look, Shivani's back again, World Title Split Off, Center Stage, Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro, New World Order, and The Crow. Under Russo, Arquette Champ, Vinny Mac, simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad, not your classy podcast. Watch a long try not to laugh, lowest rules, cat back. This wasn't the initial plan, Tom Ziggs a good looking man. Klondike Bill, make a tip. Tommy, you come over here. What happened when? WHW Monday. And now, let's go to the ring, and here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? A very special bonus edition here with the man of the hour, Mr. Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, my friend, I would say Happy New Year to you, but it's not New Year's yet, but it is the 20th anniversary of the biggest event in the history of our great sport. Can I get that out of the way now? (laughs) Thank you for doing that. And it really is true. I mean, this is... The pay-per-view that everybody thinks about WCW Starcade 1997. And, uh, we dropped this episode at the exact time of the 20 year anniversary. Pretty fun that we're able to do that here, right? Yeah. It's pretty fun that, uh, I guess in many ways, many ways are good. Many ways are bad that it's still emblazoned in everybody's memory. So yeah, it, it's great to be reliving this. Uh, of course, uh, uh, to all of our fans, uh, thank you for listening to us in 2017. Uh, and this, uh, of course, uh, is our last one of 2017 because the next time we hit the the uh, download airwaves, it'll be uh, January 1st, right? That's right. Next year is when you'll hear right? us again. And uh, I hate people who do that, so I wanted to do it to you. Uh, you won't hear us again until next year. Of course, we are <laughs> going to be doing an episode this coming Monday. Uh, which is a very special edition, sort of a behind the scenes look at what happened when Tony Schiavone and myself and how the whole podcast came together. And then, uh, the following week, we want to go ahead and get you to plug this in. This is a big deal. Uh, it's going to be January the 8th and, uh, you'll be able to tune in on Monday, January 8th, business as usual, just like always 6am, but we're going to cover another anniversary this time. It's the 20 year anniversary of the very first WCW thunder. We've got a lot of fun stuff going on here on the program right now, Tony. Yeah, we are Conrad. That's what the, the program's all about. Having fun, reliving the past, having some fun with it and going back and, uh, talking about the things that were good, talking about the things that were bad. And there was plenty on either end, especially at this time, this, I think everyone would agree with me is the kind of the top of the mountain of WCW and also the beginning of the slide down the mountain and we're going to heap it on with uh, thunder. And of course, then things got really bad. So I look forward to reliving this again, good and bad, a huge show for you guys. Let's get into it. It's December 28th, 1997. We want you to fire up your WWE network and press mute and uh, just listen along with us, man. We're going to go ahead 
and relive some of these great moments together, but we've got a little help from our friends. Uh, but before we throw it to our, our third partner here on the show, we should remind you that today's special episode is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek, And we've been telling you about SeatGeek for a few weeks now, because both Tony and I use this app to pick up tickets. And my dad decided to make the trip down to new Orleans for the Alabama game. He himself downloaded the SeatGeek app. He didn't think he could do it. He said, ah, it's too complicated. I don't know how to do all these apps. He made it happen fast and easy. If my dad can do it, you can do it too. I'm telling you, it's that simple. Go download the SeatGeek app for free. And we even have a special offer for everybody right now. Right, Tony? Yeah, the special offer is that $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you're a listener of What Happened When. Download the app. Enter this promo code. You ready? What happened? Enter what happened. No spaces. W-H-A-T-H-A-P-P-E-N-D-E-N-E-D. I can't even spell. And one word, and you will get $20 off your first seat geek purchase. You can be anywhere just with a few taps. Instantly find seats, Conrad. Chris Schiavone, uh, my middle son, is now who's with us on the Georgia football broadcast is now sending his wife. He got her tickets to the Rose Bowl via SeatGeek as well. So there you go. And it's uh, not an easy ticket to find. But it is with SeatGeek. So hook it up. Download the free SeatGeek app right now. And let me tell you the promo code again since Tony can't spell. It's what happened, like our program here, what happened when. Well, just the first two words, what happened, and you're going to get 20 bucks off. Uh, So with that in mind, let's see if we can't throw it to our third tag team partner here on the program and let's get started with starcade 1997 all right are you ready yeah you actually need a countdown to hit play all right for all you slap dicks out there when i say go you hit the button that says play okay all right here we go shut up tony three Two, one, go. Thank you, sweetie. And I'll be celebrating my 37th year with her in 2018. Uh, this is a very cool open. Uh, actually, this was very well done. It was by a producer named Mike Shockett, who I understand uh, may be working for the WWE right now. Uh, and it's kind of sting watching from the shadows. I always you go back and look at this. It's kind of like it's Vince McMahon watching from shadows uh, and he's in this uh, dilapidated house and we'll walk across the face of Hulk Hogan oh, right there out of the WCW magazine that no one read picks up the bat he witnessed the ruin of an empire again Vince McMahon uh, talking about WCW uh, but uh, very well done uh, Mike Shockett or his wife may have done this we never knew with Mike and now he seeks the ruin of one man don't you think this is a cool open? I think it's one of the best opens you guys ever did. Um, you spent a lot of time and money on this. Do you know where that scene was shot? Was that done in Atlanta? Yeah, it was in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta in a uh, kind of a, uh, I wasn't going to say dilapidated warehouse. Maybe that's the right word, but at least one that had been vacated, a vacant warehouse. And there are a lot of those in Atlanta. It's fun because you guys are at, you know, the, the biggest point in your run here with the world championship wrestling here. And this is sort of the coup de gras and you've got the big pyro experience to get us open here. 
Uh, this is the first wrestling event inside the MCI center, which is going to become uh, home for you guys for a while. And we've got quite the announced crew here, the American dream, Mike Denae, and of course you are Tony Schiavone. Yes, I am Tony Schiavone. And let me say, Mike, this is the biggest event in the history of professional wrestling. And Mike, as you know, this being the biggest event in the history of professional wrestling, I want to welcome everybody to the biggest event in the history of professional wrestling, something that I'm sure fans will put butts in the seats. Now, Mike, this is the biggest event in the history of our great sport. So what do you have to say about that? Tony, you're right. Greatest event, biggest event in the history of our sport, yada, yada, yada. Butts in the seats, yada, yada, yada. We don't know where Heenan is, but we know this is the biggest event in the history of our sport. If I say that again, I know, Tony, you'll charge me because it's your quote. Now, before we go to the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I want to remind the fans, Hogan and Sting, biggest event in the history of our great sport. Oh, look, in there, who in the world? Sonny Ono and Harlem Heat. They have bought tickets to this event. Boy, I bet they wish they had the seat geek gap back then. And would you take a look at this? The Disco Inferno, Ultimo Dragon, a Greg the Hammer Valentine sighting. And there is Humorous and a member. Ooh, my blood just ran cold. My blood just ran cold. And who's this little salt-off guy? Was that Ray Mysterio Jr. Conrad? It was, or it was a small child with a mask on. It was one or the other. <laughs> well, that's what I find so interesting about this card. And there's lots for us to break down here, but you've got some of the biggest stars in the company who aren't even booked here. Ray Mysterio had been on fire glacier, uh, you know, gotten a lot of television time from the company. He's not here. Booker T who's going to start a phenomenal singles run in 1998. Well, I guess even the next night on nitro, it, none of these guys are in action. And in fact, they're in the crowd. But the, the best part about the whole thing to me is to see wrath who we've been made to believe is this sort of counterculture underground, you know, he's from a fighting club. He's for, he's got lots of rumor and innuendo around his character, but here he's just chilling in like a chap sweater and a fucking mask. Yeah. And he should have been eating a hot dog just to kind of draw it all in together <laughs> to make him human. Right. One of the uh, things that you guys are, are addressing here, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but you're talking about yeah. the controversy surrounding Kevin Nash because Kevin Nash was arguably in the second biggest match, pardon the pun, because he's going to be taking on the giant. And we just covered the go home show where there was a tremendous package done there. Uh, of course, Kevin Nash was there doing commentaries. They took over the set, a big part of the show, but that feud had been brewing for a long time with them smashing the giant's hand. And here you're just saying Kevin Nash is not here. We were given a press release from the NWO saying that he would not be here, but maybe we'll find out why later. I'm curious. You were there that day. When did you know Kevin Nash is a no show? When I got up on the set and sat down, that's when I knew. So there wasn't any sort of production meeting or anything early in the day where you guys said, okay, um, here's what we got. Here's who's not here. Here are the changes to the card. None of that. We had a production meeting, but there was no change to the card at that time. So literally moments before you say it on TV is when you find out not only has he not been here all day, he ain't coming. Right. That's when I found out. So uh, again, I think this is one of those, wouldn't you agree? One of those notches that started to knock us down the other way. When you got an event, Kevin Nash and the giant to me is a big deal. Not as big as Hogan and sting, but it's a big deal. When you got that. You, we've done the videos for it and you're not going to have the match. Well, who is, oh, that is Ray Mysterio Jr. Did it, you? Is. it is. And there's Hooventude <laughs> chilling in a mask. 
Wow. Uh, a, a lot of the, <laughs> the lure is gone here. Uh, when you see these guys, I think that guy's the green lantern fan. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, look, we, the, the, the idea was, and I understand this, the idea was to try to make this event so big and mean so much that the wrestlers themselves wanted to see it firsthand. But don't you think that they should have just been like filtering into the crowd and be shown right before the main event, sort of like in boxing, because this is very much a preliminary match. And of course we're going to be treated to Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, who put on a series of classics that people still talk about to this day in ECW that really put them on the map. And they even were working together when they first came into WCW. So two very, uh, comfortable and familiar partners. And you know, this is going to be a guaranteed great match, an excellent way to open the program, but it feels like showing the stars in the crowd. If you really wanted to have that big fight feel, you would do it right before the main event. Exactly. Uh, and of course we are, we are armchair quarterbacking. Now I do need to say this Conrad after watching this event, uh, watching this match right here, I'm going to, uh, apologize to Dean Malenko. I can't apologize to Eddie because he's no longer with us. I, I don't know if I took it upon myself here or was produced about doing this. I think this was an edict from Eric Bischoff. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think it was, I completely ignored this match until about three quarters of the way through. And it is a phenomenal match. Yes, it is. It's not going to be, you know, their best match they ever had because the crowd is pretty dead for it. It feels like this crowd, when I watched it back this week, was really there for the Gaga. They were there for the main event. They wanted the NWO. They wanted WCW. And this not being a typical WCW NWO match, I feel like the crowd maybe didn't give it the respect it deserved because these guys worked their ass off. The announcers didn't give it the respect they deserve. And you can see the fans are sitting on their feet right now. They are just doing some tremendous maneuvers. And not only that, they're they're ter- telling a very good story about their well, Superman jumped up in the background. Uh, they're doing a, uh, uh, here's a pickup and a great vertical suplex, telling a very good story about Eddie being a heel. Eddie was teasing Dean Malenko about his, uh, his hairline at the beginning of it. We ignored that. And now Dean Malenko just assaulting Eddie because Eddie had turned heel and Eddie kind of gets under your skin. So all this storytelling that we should have done. And I say that. Because you do the hyping during Nitro and then down the road Thunder, this is the end. This is uh, this is where you want to go. So you should make the fans enjoy it. You don't have to worry about selling them on right. Sting and Hogan because and, and, and they you def- bought it. You definitely were selling this entire time, which in hindsight does feel a little weird. But yeah. these series of moves that you see Eddie and Ray do here were really innovative at the time. You know, you see a lot of this now, but back then. Man, nobody was doing it better than these guys. And I, I want to mention that this match was set up just a couple of weeks prior when Eddie cost Malenko a match against Fit Finley. And of course, they're both in the hunt here for the cruiserweight title. But that allowed um when Eddie came out for him to distract Dean and then Fit hit hit him with a, a tombstone for the pin. Um that's the K Fabe. Now behind the scenes, Malenko is mad that he's even here because he had asked right. to be off for Starcade because his wife was supposed to be due with one of their children around this time. It may have even been his firstborn, but, uh, I believe the rumor in innuendo is he said, Hey, if uh, my wife goes into labor and gives birth, he, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be with her. So maybe you guys could sub in Ray Mysterio 
in a match against Eddie Guerrero, which we just covered a couple of months ago at Halloween Havoc 97, which was an absolute barn burner. Uh, they go so far as to even, um, not really worry about advertising anything different because the entire lead up here, they're advertising Guerrero Malenko. They're not advertising Mysterio. So they never change the advertisement. Uh, the birth winds up going down on the 25th. So three days prior to this. So instead of having to call an audible, uh, he makes it and the way he makes it, I think you're going to get a kick out of this, Tony. They chartered a jet for Malenko to come into this show. Well, that to me, uh, says, says a little bit about us, uh, thinking about your family in a way, uh, he didn't want to be there. I understand, but, uh, how much do you think that charter cost? Well, that's what I'm getting five, to is, is realist. Yeah. No, much more than five grand. There's no chance they got it for five grand. I would okay. venture that the, the charter costs more than what Malenko's payoff was here. And don't get me wrong. I love me some Dean Malenko matches. I think Malenko in 97 is arguably one of the best wrestlers around. Um, but if I got a rematch of Rey Mysterio and Eddie, and I didn't have to pay for the charter, maybe that makes more business sense. It makes plenty of business sense to me looking at it from 20 years later. Uh, but you could also maybe say that been there, seen that right with Eddie and, and Dean and, uh, Ray Mysterio. I don't know. Uh, Either but, way, though, uh, this ended up, this ended up being a great match anyway, charter or no charter or subbing or no subbing or congratulations to the Malenko family. They're, can you believe their baby is now older than 20 years old? Isn't that crazy? 20 years old now. The baby that was born three days before this, uh, he turned 20 three days ago. It's unbelievable. Wow. He'll be drinking a Did beer he? next year. <laughs> next Christmas. Exactly right. He's, he's drinking with dad. Yes. Uh, and Eddie looking great. Uh, again, great spots. Everything is done with force. Everything is believable here. One of the great things about both these wrestlers, uh, everything is done with such passion and see that just very, very well done. And it's a great way to start things. And really the fans, if you notice now watching this with us, by the way, if you're not watching this with us, you don't have to, we hope you're still enjoying it. If you're taking a ride, I've been talking to some guys who have been uh, buying our T-shirts and our and our drivers and uh, listen to our podcast in their truck. One, two, at a two count. You don't have to have it on. You can just enjoy us right now. But the fans are kind of getting into this a little bit, and it's uh, and it's good to see. Uh, to me, that that says a lot. When the fans are really not into a match at the beginning, they only want to see the NWO, WCW stuff. And as the match goes along, they get more and more into it. Says a lot about the performers. One heck of a match here. If you haven't seen this, I recommend that you go out of your way to watch it. Uh, Meltzer wouldn't love it as much as we do. I don't think he only gave it two and three quarter stars. He wrote yeah. Eddie Guerrero retained the cruiserweight title, pinning Dean Malenko in 14 minutes and 57 seconds. This was the best match on the show, but well below the standard that you'd expect from these two. They worked a slower pace early and the match lacked heat. Although that was true for basically the entire show. At about the 10 minute mark, Guerrero began working over Malenko's knees, including one spot where he put Malenko's knees in between the ring steps and ring post and drop kicked the steps into the knee. Uh, so they're telling a great story, really working on the knee. Uh, he writes, it was a solid Japan style work, but it was a crowd that seemed to be more into the spectacular. Malenko did a great wheelbarrow German suplex, but he gave Guerrero a backbreaker that he sold as if it made his knee worse. The match was flat. 
even building towards the finish, even though technically it was a very good match with Malenko, never making any sustained comeback. Guerrero came off the top rope with a drop kick to the knee and finished with a frog splash landing on the knees. This wasn't even close to the same level as Guerrero's match on Saturday night against Rey Mysterio jr. Or Malenko's match on the same show against La Parca. So high praise, I guess, but not nearly to what Dave was expecting given their performers. But I think a lot of that is the crowd. The crowd seems really ready for the stars of the NWO and that NWO storyline more so than hot matches, because I feel like this match would be a spectacle on any pay-per-view then or now. It's a no-win situation for WCW. We have promoted so much NWO against WCW. You got two hours and 40 minutes or 45 minutes of a pay-per-view, and you can't give them NWO versus WCW the entire way unless you bring out <clears throat> Vincent a couple of times. Uh, we uh, we just saw, uh, as we were talking about the match, uh, Eddie Guerrero kissing the feet of Dean Malenko. Did you see that? I did. And when I saw that, I just wondered, I wonder how many times wrestlers actually did that to Vince McMahon. Oh, my gosh. Listen to you. I, <laughs> just, uh, it just, that's the first thing crossed my mind. Oh, whoa. And a great a drop kick by Dean Malenko. I just, you just never know. I mean, kiss the feet, kiss the ring, say hello to the man who rules wrestling right now. Eddie really picking up the steam here on Dean Malenko and uh, gets him into what I <clears throat> called a front chancery at one time. Uh, and, and this spot, I, I think they weren't sure what they wanted to do. So he just kind of shoved him off. And went back up top. Oh, great maneuver again by Dean Malenko. But, but again, I don't know. I, Meltzer said it's not what you would expect from a Malenko-Eddie Guerrero match. Now, my question is, what would you expect? I expected this. And I agree with you. The fans are not into it because of what. And that probably uh, drugged the match down a little bit as well. We should mention that um, for all the, the bad that there is with the NWO storyline here, there's a lot of good, man, especially when you look at business. Let's break that down. Your average attendance in December of 96 was 3,911 fans. Just a year later, here in December of 97, it's 7,649 fans. So you're talking about a 95.5% jump from one year to the next. The right. average gate, similar story. $48,165 average for December of 96. $138,837 average, uh, just a month later or a year later in December 97. So 188% jump the sold out shows. They had 28.6% sold out in 96 and December of 97 here. They're at 83.3 and the average television rating is up a little bit as well, going from a 2.3 to a 2.4. So business is through the roof financially. And merchandise, really for the first time in WCW history, is flying off the shelves. Sting is probably the second seller in the entire company or entire industry. Stone Cold Steve Austin's Austin 316 shirt is number one. But Sting is actually number two, closely followed by the NWO. And then, believe it or not, Diamond Dallas Page, Six, and Randy Savage round out sort of the hottest merch sellers at the time. And given how close the NWO and sting were. It tells the story that that's what the fans care about. They're here for the NWO, but they're here for sting. And then the culmination of this storyline. Now, remember in the, the storyline too, we were also 
having a match later on tonight, Zabisco against Bischoff uh, for WCW Monday Nitro. As we take a look at, uh, my God, Barry Darso's in the stands. Holy shit. A Barry Darso sighting. Uh, and so we're wrestling for Nitro. And the thought was here, WCW will win Nitro. And uh, the NWO will have Thunder, which never worked out that way. Thank goodness, because it was not Ooh. it was not good stuff. Um, no, uh, again, what made us so hot, Conrad? The NWO and that storyline. We we just it's one of those things where you've got it one two at a two count. You've got a a great team, and you're red hot, and you need to build on that momentum. And you just don't know how to do it. The momentum takes a life of itself and it ends up screwing you over. It really does. Now I know uh, many people out there will say, nah, it was Vince Russo and it Ferrar when they come in to screw us. Now, listen, we were going, uh, we've used the term, uh, coffin on roller skates before the, uh, the coffin was starting to roll downhill when this event was over. We all knew it when we walked out of the arena that night and there was no way to stop it. It was out of control. We should mention that yeah. WCW breaks its all-time gate record here for the show. Um, they do huge money, $543,000 at the gate. Uh, there are 16,052 fans paid here. There's a total of around 17,500. The uh, most folks who had ever seen a WCW show uh, was done earlier that year at a nitro in Boston where they did 18,003 fans. So 503 fans fewer than at that Boston nitro. Although on the air, you got to sort of give a kayfabe number where you say last I heard it was 24,000. Uh, who's giving you those, yeah. those kayfabe numbers. I'm getting them from uh, the truck from, uh, I guess from Craig, from, from Annette, uh, from Eric's, um, I don't, know, I don't want to call them Eric Stooges. Okay, Eric Stooges, getting them from them. So uh, you know, uh, again, I'm 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 fed a lot of stuff, uh, not really produced as much as I would be in in the years to come, but uh, still really produced. Here's another spot that I thought they kind of messed up. Uh, they weren't so sure what they would do. I thought it would be a like a Frankenstein'er coming off the top, uh, and I wasn't sure they so they just kind of threw each other off. Uh, but, uh, but again, when you're a great performer, you can, you can work through stuff like that as Eddie sells it here. And, and Dean, of course, is selling, trying to get to his feet as well. You know, and in fairness, when you see guys start for a move like that and struggle out of it, it adds to the realism a little bit more and, and lends itself to, Hey, maybe it's not all choreographed because if everything is, you know, the perfectly timed flip every time and nobody ever counters anything or fights their way through anything or stops a move. What a fucking power bomb. Power bomb from Malenko and Oh boy. And, uh, again, working on the knee here, uh, Eddie Guerrero, you know, you're right. You think that if you're trying to present realism here, and I think our, our fans would agree with this. If Dean is sitting on the top turnbuckle, Eddie gets up. Why not try to fight your way out of it sometimes? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and again, we are right now, the, the curtain hasn't been drawn back on the, on the sport. Eddie goes to the knee again, tremendous maneuver by Guerrero. He's going to go for it. Once again, fans start to react a little bit. They love to see the frog splash 
which was on the knee. One, two, three, great finish. Fans react to the finish. And then he gets the win. He's still the cruiserweight champ. Who's that old man with the belt? Oh, it's Charles Robinson. Sorry about that. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't sure. Charles about what? 75 now? Yeah. Charles just turned, um, 74 years old last weekend. All right, Charles. Very good. Doesn't look a day under 73. No, he doesn't. Yeah. So Eddie Guerrero wins the first match, but again, your knucklehead announcers, me included, are saying greatest night in the history of our sport. Hogan and Sting coming up, battle for the NWO, and the battle for Nitro. Let's take a look at the replay. Once again, Eddie picks him up, and it's a big power bomb from Eddie Guerrero. He tried to make a cover there, couldn't do it, but the frog splash landed on the knee, the knee that he just hit with a drop kick from the top, and now the cover, one, two, three. Eddie Guerrero, I thought, I think two and a quarter stars, whatever uh, Mr. Meltzer gave it, it was wrong. I think it's every bit of a three, three and a half star match, maybe four. Uh, we should mention that, uh, the very first day tickets go on sale for Starcade was November 15th. Really process that this event, December 28th, they go on sale, November 15th, WrestleMania boys and girls has been on sale for weeks and it's in April. So it gives you an idea of how hot the business was because the very day they go on sale. They sell 11,036 tickets for 389,910 bucks. The only tickets that were left were the cheap seats, the $15 seats. So quite the financial windfall for WCW here. Yeah. Then I tell you, Conrad, 24,000. What I heard was in the stands, 24,000. Of course, that's a bullshit number, but we were full of bullshit at that time. Here he comes. Hey, everybody. It's the one and only Scott Hall. And we're going to do a little angle here because we have no Kevin Nash. Let me, let's talk I, about this because I, I've right. always been curious. And there's a, a lot of things about this card that don't make any sense to me. Ray Mysterio is a force in wrestling. He's a spectacle. Everybody wants to see he's sitting in the crowd. You're going to start a singles push the very next day for Booker T. He's not participating here. Um, Mortis and, and Glacier as silly as it may have been have been primed on TV for a long time. I think at this point, Glacier has lost on television twice and he's in the crowd. Scott Hall, the guy who started the fucking NWO, this whole invasion angle, he's not booked in a match on this card. And, and coming up in a minute, we're going to break it down a little more. The macho man did not have a match on this card. This feels like what the fuck is going on? Well, it feels like that we are, are just kind of resting on our laurels, thinking that we got Hogan, we got Sting. Damn it, we don't need anybody else. That, to me, had to be the mindset of this, wouldn't you think? It's got to be, but it feels like, you know, obviously in hindsight, we all look at this card and say, wow, it really didn't deliver. But it feels like you had all the tools to deliver. You've got Rey Mysterio, you've got Scott Hall, you've got Macho Man. None of them are really doing anything. Why not put them into something? And of course, the thing we should probably be talking about right now is Kevin Nash because Kevin Nash had been promoted in these packages for a long time. And, and he started to get a little bit of stroke backstage to the point that he was pushing in a big way for the NWO show. Because as you remember, they're trying to kick around the idea of a split here between WCW and the NWO, maybe where. WCW keeps nitro and this Thursday show becomes the NWO show. That's the way Kevin Nash wants it. 
because he feels like there, there's no real competition except mainstream, you know, television, Seinfeld sure. and things like that. So if, if you're doing any sort of rating on a Thursday, it's a victory, but if you're not beating raw on Monday, then it's looked at as a questionable move. Um, Kevin Nash though, pulls up lame here and there's lots of debate. Uh, here's what Meltzer wrote. Scott Hall came out and did the survey and interview and then said that Kevin Nash, who has shrunk back down to six ten, according to Scott Hall this week, won't be there. Hall gave no explanation at all. Earlier in the show, the announcer said that Nash wouldn't be on the show, but also gave no explanation. Hall made fun of the giant who came out sans cast on his hand. Hall attacked the giant who made a quick comeback with a press slam and teased doing the choke slam, but instead dropped Hall using the jackknife style power bomb. For whatever reason, giant came out and looked like he hadn't slept for a week. Uh, so of course, leading up to this, the reason we mentioned the six ten is that they've promoted that Kevin Nash is seven, one, 367 pounds, but he himself has said on TV, he's six ten, right. and here Scott Hall is acknowledging that again, the day before the show, this is what Meltzer writes. WCW received word that Kevin Nash had suffered a mild heart attack at his home in Phoenix. Nash, who is 39, has a family history of heart problems, including his own father dying of a heart attack before the age of 40. Nobody was exactly clear as to the actual story, but there were also reports that it was thought to be a heart attack, but was actually just a bad case of indigestion. Nash said he was in the hospital in Arizona with an irregular heartbeat. And, um, that's sort of where we are. According to the rumored innuendo, Nash has went on record as saying that Eric called him while he was in the hospital and Eric is actually offering to send a private jet, maybe to pick up Malenko and him. And Nash replied, dude, I'm in the hospital. My tests haven't come back yet. Nash did in fact, get the nuclear dye put into his heart the next morning for another test. And of course this changes everything to where now these guys are going to wrestle at sold out. And you may remember that's where they had the famous spot where Nash drops the giant on his head, attempting the power bomb. Uh, Nash has said that the giant got a concussion and threw up, but refused to go to the hospital. And, uh, he felt like the first time they tried the move. And then when they tried the move, it sold out. The giant was a totally different weight and a much different situation where he couldn't get his arms around him all the way. And he slipped anyway, this has led the rumors for 20 years, man. Lots of people say the real issue here is that Kevin Nash didn't want to do a job on WCW's biggest pay-per-view and came up with this as a cop mm. out. Other people say, no, he was legitimately concerned about his heart. What was the uh, talk backstage that you remember? Well, well, again, uh, we were not, we knew that something was wrong with Kevin. We were not told that he would not be there and I got to thinking, well, we're in the midst of another angle here. All right. Kevin is going to do a, uh, a run in or show up. So we didn't know that we didn't know that he wasn't going to show up. Uh, and I had heard the fact that they were going to try to bring him here anyway. Uh, so we didn't know what to say. And that's why we kind of, when D Dave Meltzer said the announcers didn't give a reason for him not being there because we were not given a reason for him to be there. And we were just kind of swimming, uh, kind of swimming without a, uh, or without a life vest as the old cliche goes, here's the deal. And they try to make something out of this. And I think for what it was, I think they, 
I think they did a pretty good job. Look at the fans. Look, you know, we can criticize this all we want, but we just saw a really good match and nobody right. gave a shit. Now look at them. Everybody's standing. There's, Everybody's ready that's for right. this. Yeah. They're into this. They're into this giant. They're into this NWO versus WCW thing. Everybody's on their feet. Uh, boy, Meltzer's right. He looked like he just woke up, uh, in his eyes. And I, I thought bringing out Scott Hall made the best of the situation. So, and the fans are really going to get into this when, when stuff starts to go down. You know, I thought this was kind of funny that they jump-started this by Scott Hall just saying, ah, what the hell I'm going jumping, <laughs> which to me was freaking crazy, but it, it really got the fans into it. And, and right there. And they jumped him. The unfortunate thing about all the, ooh, now look how the fans are reacting now. The unfortunate thing about all of it is that they're going to end up running the guys in here, including Vincent. Look at the, look at the power that Paul white has here. When the giant can pick up a six foot seven, probably 270 pound guy like that. And I know Scott, Scott helped him a little bit, but that right. is, that is super impressive to be able to just press that guy over you like that. Good move here. He's going to go for the choke slam, but he says, uh, 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 I'm going to go for the power bomb and send a message to big sexy. Kevin Nash picked him up raw power here. Great reaction from, from hall and down he goes. How about the, uh, the giant doing this, the razor Ramon yeah. uh, taunt there, which is pretty fun. And look at the agility here where he's just jumping down. I think so many people forget what an athlete he is, because a lot of times, you know, fans these days are, are judging what they've seen him by in the last few years. And he got himself in incredible shape, but obviously he's been up and down the road and bumped around and, uh, he's got lots of, uh, battle damage, but man, in this era, that dude was super athletic. He could do it all. He, uh, when we first saw him, we first saw Paul white, we thought, holy shit, do we have a, a gym here, size and agility and athletic ability. It was all just absolutely great and all, and all tremendous. And the fans reacted to it. There is your Scott Hall, razor Ramon react. And, uh, now to get Scott Hall, uh, the, you still, you still see now we have a lot of NWO fans, uh, outsider fans in the ring. And let's realize we're up in Washington, DC right now, which is one of the strongholds of the WWE. Now they're going to bring out. This is uh, so amazing to me that we've got these guys out here, like way after the fact, the B team, Scott Norton and Mike Jones, who, um, I guess we should start calling him by his his working name here. Vincent, Vincent, but then they're going to make an about face and come back out for the entrance. Like, right. It feels like the most, like who's running the show backstage. Who's the agent? Who's, who's in the gorilla position? Who's sort of running the show behind the curtain here. Well, uh, usually in the gorilla position, it was Jody Hamilton. There you see Scott. He's just standing there. You see his white boots. He turns around and he walks back in with Vincent. Like Ugh. what the fuck just happened? Exactly. Why even bother? I mean, the whole yeah. thing is just so random. And I guess here's what's annoying me the most. No disrespect to Scott Norton, but. And I know, I know Virgil's here for the fuck money. I mean, he's here for the meat sauce. These guys are about to climb in the ring. Yeah. Ray Mysterio is in the crowd. Booker T yeah, is in the I, I know what you're crowd. saying. Yeah. Basically, and no disrespect to Scott Norton, 
plenty of disrespect to Mike Jones. Who? Uh, uh, we got a couple of jobbers in the ring now. Have you called Mike Jones up on the low? No. Uh, write this number down. All right. <laughs> two, eight, one, two, eight, one, three, three, Oh, hang on. We're giving everybody Mike Jones's number eight, zero, zero, four, hit him up. We just gave everybody Mike Jones's number. Yep. Okay. Who? Well, there you, well, maybe he'll get some bookings. You know, back then they didn't want him. Now he's hot <laughs> and everybody's on him. So here he comes, uh, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner. And their tag team partner, Mr. Ray trailer, who's fresh out of the NWO. Uh, of course he was, uh, an early member and how weird in hindsight does Scott Steiner look with dark hair here. Now that we're so used to this Scott Steiner as big Papa pump, it, it's, it's a little weird. Well, to me, it looks like now, now think about what he looked like beforehand with the, the, the letter jacket on and the hair back. To me, he is starting to become big Papa pump. Absolutely. I mean, he's as big as a house here. Right, right. Got the mustache. So you're seeing Scott Steiner, uh, began the, uh, big Papa pump era. Uh, he, he looks nothing like, I mean, they look nothing like the Steiner brothers. We remember with the exception, maybe Rick Steiner does because his gimmick didn't change, but together they look nothing like the Steiner brothers. We remember. We should remind you here that, uh, Norton is porting to the entrance because only two guys came out for the NWO. Meanwhile, three guys for WCW came out. Now their partner that was advertised here is Conan. Conan is a no show. Uh, he is not a no show on keeping it 100. Go check that show out. Uh, Tony is going to be making an appearance on there very, very soon. Um, we should also mention here that the last minute replacement is arguably one of the biggest stars in the history of the business. Here he is macho man himself. Tony, we've talked about the macho man a lot here on the show. But I don't know that we've ever given you an opportunity to really do your best macho man impression. Of course, Bruce Pritchard has a great one. Arguably Dan Soder has the very best around. Do you have a macho man impression in you? Well, I could try one, uh, if you think it'll work, but I feel kind of embarrassed trying it because let me tell you something. Oh yeah. The macho man looking at the rear of Elizabeth coming in right now and pointing at everybody. Yeah. Let's see what we go. Yep, let's do uh, a sting world order. Fuck that shit. Okay, over here, we pick up, fuck that sign too. It's orange. Nobody likes the Florida Gator. Yeah, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah. How's this sounding? Like, I like, like shit. How about the giant two sweet hands in the crowd? I missed that back in 97. That's yeah. a pretty good, fun, that's a pretty fun deal. Yeah, who's this kid in the, oh, that's Ramus. Fuck him and fuck Harley. Me. Come get me. Come get me. Fuck you. I'm too sweet. Fuck you. Fuck you. And suckers got to know. <laughs> and Ray backed up. I never did understand that. Well, you know, why, why would you understand he, it? He's, he's, he's small in stature and the, mach, and the macho man is the macho man. Yeah. But it's Ray Mysterio jr. You wouldn't, I mean, fans would back down, but wrestlers wouldn't. Right. No. I mean, he's trying to sell, give him some okay. credit. You know, if, All right. m maybe if, um, never mind. I was going to make a Jim Cornette reference, but we'll keep the peace today. <laughs> So okay. it's an interesting story here, kind of behind the scenes. I guess we should remind you on the go home edition of nitro that we just covered, which is available in our archives. That was December 22nd. Uh, Rick Steiner beat Scott Norton by DQ when the NWO interfered and Ray trailer and Scott Steiner made the save. So that's how this match right. was all set up just a few days prior to this. So keep that in mind. This match was set up six days prior. However, 
Conan calls and said his girlfriend has given birth to a premature stillborn child. And now he can't leave Mexico. So there's a hole in the six man tag and the company asked Randy fucking Savage to fill the spot. That's right. Randy Savage is going to team with Vincent and Scott Norton on the biggest pay-per-view in WCW history. And in the negotiations to get him to fill the spot, literally a few hours before the show goes on the air, they had to agree to change the finish because originally, of course, the Steiners and Ray trailer were going over, but in order to get Savage to agree, the finish was changed to where Savage got to score the pin using the elbow off the top on Scott Steiner. Uh, Scott Steiner was not happy about this to the point that he had major words with Terry Taylor about the change. And, uh, they tried to pacify him by letting him do all of his hot moves in the match. But in the end, of course, he's still not happy. According to Meltzer, Savage would only agree to replace Conan in the match. If he got the pin, because it was so low on the card and he thought he was a main eventer. So in order for him to do it, he's got to win. And he refuses, according to the report to beat Ray trailer, because he considers trailer an underneath guy. So he didn't insist on beating Scott, but it just had to be a Steiner and Terry Taylor chose Scott because apparently Rick had been the Steiner brother usually asked to do the job. Mm. What do you remember about this Conan situation where once again, we've advertised the match, but we're not going to deliver it on our biggest pay-per-view. Well, I, I got to thinking here and, and of course you got, you got to, as an announcer, you really do a uh, Conrad. And I want everybody to realize this. You got to, as an announcer, when you, you know, when Kevin Nash is not here and then you find out Conan's not here, you got to try to move ahead and you got to try to stay positive in light of all the backstage things that are going on. I'm feeling here now because there's no Conan. Uh, and of course, let, let's face it, uh, uh, comparing apples to oranges, the macho man is a bigger star in the minds of the fans here. Not, in, not in Mexico, but he is, but I'm thinking that God, we are, we're just, we're just fucking up this night all around. And now I didn't know what the finish would be. So I was as shocked as anybody that Scott Steiner did the job here. I just, it's just, uh, it's just tough. I mean, it really is. And I think you're seeing kind of a chinks in the armor of WCW right now. We, I, I, I just can't get over a lack of anything else. Okay. I can't get over that. Mike Jones. Who, by the way, we just gave you his number is in this fucking match. What's he doing? Why is he here? I don't know that everybody's called it yet. It's two, eight, one, three, three, Oh, eight, zero, zero, four. Wow. So yeah, you, you're right. They're giving Scott Steiner plenty of stuff. Scott said, go ahead to the ropes again and a little paintbrush here. Oh man, that was pretty stiff. That uh, was a pretty stiff uh, slap from a guy who didn't want to do a job. But great teamwork here, and the NWO is going to take over. Do you remember there being any heat on Conan for no showing the sh- uh, the card here? Because obviously, you know, the higher up your card you get, the less likely Bischoff is to pitch a fit. But he had sort of an on again, off again relationship with Conan. Do you remember any fallout from him missing this show? I know he was, I know that Bischoff was extremely pissed off and that combined with what was going on with, with Kevin Nash really, really pissed him off. Uh, and, but there was, there's something else too. Eric was working this event himself. He was wrestling. So Eric was, he just had a lot on his plate. He really, really did. So I, I think, uh, I think really that Eric kind of lost his focus on this event 
Wow. That was a great power man move on this event because of all he had to do. And a lot of the stuff was handled now by guys who were agents and people who were in production and, and Eric maybe didn't have his hands on it like he should have. And as you notice, uh, Mike Jones is not in yet. Well, he's why, not sure why, whether he be? wants to be a valet now or in the ring. Why in the world would you tag that guy? Boy, Scott Steiner, look at this. Double underhook into a power bomb. Kid was incredible. Absolutely incredible was Scott Steiner. And they're also letting Scott take most of the match. There's, an, there's another power move. We talked about what the Giant did. How about that? Not high in the air. Oh, my God. What the Vincent fuck goes was down. <laughs> Vincent goes down to the right hand from Ray Trailer. Oh, and the Steiners. Yes. And Ray Trailer. Rule the ring right now. Oh, my gosh. This is such a throwaway. You know, the Steiners were, were such a big part of WCW and to know that they're in sort of a throwaway match here and macho men's in a throwaway match here and Ray Mysterio's in the fucking crowd. Like to me, and I know it doesn't advance the NWO WCW storyline, but wouldn't it have been smart? Just, I mean, Harlem heat sitting in the crowd. Let's get Harlem heat and the Steiners in here and have a real fucking tag match or exactly. Let's get Scott Hall in here because he's the tag champ, right? And let's get right. Scott Hall in here with the Steiners and I don't know. Well, look, here's what you need to do. And I, I know uh, you're going to say, well, yeah, you guys are saying it now, 20 years after the fact, you got all the answers. Well, obviously we do. Dave Meltzer apparently had all the answers uh, that year, right after he watched it. But I think if you're going to have your biggest event, you start with Hogan and Sting and that's what everybody's there for. And then what year's a one, two. And then what you say is what other great matches for a pay-per-view of all the talent on the roster can we have now would you include mike jones in that no hell no but at no, the same you would... time i wouldn't have trailer and norton on here either i would have macho no, man and exactly. scott hall on the other side of the ring here working with right. the steiners and i would have had kevin nash you know ask randy savage on nitro hey handle my light work take care of the steiners right and then you could have something from there and obviously you know we're armchair quarterbacking but Instead of having Scott Hall work a match, we got Mike Jones kicking Ray Trailer in the, in the ding ding. Right, exactly. So yeah, we we missed the boat on many ways, and wow, I've never Ray seen Trailer could do a lot of great things. He could. I don't want to shit on him that much. He could do a lot of great things, as we know, and of course was a big star in the WWE. I'm not shitting on him. I'm just saying he had been positioned as an underneath guy here, and you've got one of the hottest performers in the business and Scott Hall, certainly super over, you know, the catalyst for the entire storyline that we've built our whole fucking pay-per-view around. Not here. Right. Chilling. I'd like to do, I like to do this of, of our listeners, go, go to our, uh, go to our Facebook page or go to our Twitter at WHW Monday and tell me of all the uh, matches that we should have booked. What should have been booked during the show? What do you think? Uh, Harlem heat against, uh, the Steiners would have been great. Would have been absolutely great. The giant in a handicap match against all the job guys of the NWO would have helped out things. Uh, if you want to, you know, put him in at NWO storyline. Uh, but gee whiz, you know, the more I'm watching this Conrad, 
the more depressed I'm fucking getting. Well, you should be, man. This is the drizzling shits. Um, Meltzer would write. I really am. Randy Savage and Vincent and Scott Norton beat the Steiner brothers and Ray Trailer in 11 minutes and six seconds. Match was unusually bad. Rick Steiner, who has worked for years with Norton, was having trouble doing his power moves due to Norton's weight. As far as getting Scott to do the job, he got to do his sky high DDT on Vincent, but Norton made the save. He then did a Frankensteiner off the top rope on Vincent and Savage made the save. He went back to the top again and Norton caught him and he had his shoulders and dropped him uh, or dropped back with him. That laid him out for Savage to drop the elbow for the pin half a star. Pretty, Mm. um, I don't know. It feels like a a weird time in the company here because you've got a barn burner of a match to get us started with Eddie and Malenko, but the fans want the Gaga with the giant Scott Hall. And we're following up with this and it's, uh, I don't know. It's just a mess. Look, we knew as announcers, we did as we went along, uh, Mike today, me and dusty Rhodes, who had been a booker and a very good one. We all knew that. This show was not going well. We knew it. We had that feeling. But the good news is, I think as we moved along here, uh, I think the Diamond Dallas Page win that we'll talk about here in a moment uh, helped really build a little bit more excitement to the main event that then, of course, ended us. I mean, we got, anyway, if if I could, if I would have been able to hit a pause button and grab the mic and walk to the ring, I would say, fans, we apologize. We never thought we would ever be this hot. We don't know how to handle success. We are going to rebook this whole card. Please go to the concession stand. We'll be back with you in 15 minutes. That might've put some life into this. Well, here's a real question. Is there a scenario that you can imagine where if you have him on the roster, you know, the biggest pay-per-view of all time you're trying to pop the biggest number do the biggest rating the biggest show ever you've got macho man randy savage booked like he's he's on your roster you can do anything you want with him look at this top rope ddt wow do you remember seeing that it doesn't seem like we saw that a lot no we didn't i think they were really trying to break his neck then (laughs) (laughs) well luckily for luckily for him there were no sharpies ringside (laughs) <laughs> no, not that we knew of. And if that's not enough, motherfucker, you go take the Frankensteiner. Wow. Just beat the shit out of him. People thought this was a finish and it wasn't. By the way, I haven't uh, seen this in 20 years. And when I watched it this week, yeah. I thought sure as fuck, that's the finish. I mean, you give it, give him a top right. row of DDT and then a Frankensteiner off the top and it's Vincent. Oh, it's over. Yeah. But it's not. And it, this one. This one really shocked all of us that, that, uh, that Savage would go over Scott Steiner. And uh, again, I, I don't want this to be a show. And I guess it's been all the way up to this point, a show where we're just making, uh, you know, bad mouthing WCW, making excuses and stuff like that. But, uh, this is, uh, this is not good. And this is going to be a finish and it shocked everybody, but the fans really did respond to it. You see, the, the, at least the NWO fans did. It's just interesting to me that you've got this big pay-per-view and you're like, nah, we don't need macho man because he's not supposed to be here. This is supposed to be Conan. You're like, no, we need, okay. Gotta have Ray trailer. Gotta have Conan. Gotta have Scott Norton. Gotta have Vincent. 
Macho Man. Eh, fuck it. We don't need you. You're good. All right. Well, was there anything ever written back then about the Macho Man not wanting to be part of this event? No. Is that the story? Well, that happened sometimes. That they couldn't come to terms with Randy Savage on these big, big events. Oh, this is great. This is great. I mean, I can't believe you're actually giving me real insight here. What <laughs> What do you mean? They couldn't come well, to terms. I mean, okay. He wasn't Hulk Hogan. Right. In that he didn't have complete con- creative control, but on a big event like this, the macho man felt that unless he was at least now at this time, unless he was on the top, that there was no use him being booked. So they had to go to him and beg him to be in this position. And then they had to come up with something even more, something they didn't want to do. Am I making sense to you here? Yeah. I mean, look, I love Randy, but Randy could be difficult to deal with at times. And Oh, wait, here you go. Hotline. Oh, it's hotline. Backstage, we're going to check on Conan. We're going to check on his mistress back in New Mexico and see if, in fact, that Kevin Nash does have a heart attack. It's all on the WCW hotline. And now, if you haven't been bored enough out of your fucking mind, ladies and gentlemen, let's wake up Rich McKinney and let's bring in the uh, president, the commissioner, the head of the booking committee, James J. Dillon, who's going to tell us a little bit of fucking nothing. That's 1-800-909-9900. Kids, get your parents' permission before you call. It's uh, Christmas. You got plenty of money. You have plenty of money left over. The cash that you got from Grandma and Grandpa, use it to funnel into the hotline. All right. Now, who is going to be the referee? Here he is, Conrad J.J. Dillon. Conrad, are you awake? Well, you know, Gene, I have, uh, I've thought long and hard about a referee and, you know, the most important thing about being a referee is, is actually appearing at the event, unlike Kevin Nash or Conan. And, uh, we're going to try to deliver on the matches we've promised, not with Raven. We know we've advertised him. He's not going to wrestle either. Uh, but hopefully you were pleased when we substituted Conan with macho man. I'm sad to say though, Gene, that we have announced this special guest referee because we got the cart before the horse and we thought that we'd be able to get a Hebner here and capitalize mm. off of the Montreal screw job. Uh, mm. but apparently they've turned us down because even they know a shit show when they see it. Uh, and they're going to be bootlegging t-shirts and get their asses fired, but they'd rather stay there and kiss Vince McMahon's ass than have to come down here and deal with this horse shit and me. So I don't know if they fell asleep on the phone when I was making the pitch or what. And I know by now half the audience is tuned out just like on the podcast, but we're going to announce that it's Nick Patrick as our special guest referee. That's some shit there. JJ, that's some shit. Well, it is because everybody knows that Nick Patrick is a heel referee. So we've just spoiled the finish because everyone knows that Nick Patrick is an NWO referee. I don't know why we didn't announce this on nitro. Probably because we were trying to make a last minute Hebner deal, which I fucked up too. That's it. You heard it from JJ Dillon. I'm Gene Okerlund. Let me tell you this. We go back to ring this show, which has been a fucking disaster right now is really fucked. All right. That's it. Call the hotline right now. And we'll give you some inside information about what's going on in this clusterfuck backstage. I'm Gene Okerlund. Now let's go back to the ring 
and the greatest announcer in the history of wrestling, Tony Schiavone. So let's wait a minute, Gene. That's my line. You motherfucker. Let's talk about this whole Nick Patrick deal because uh, Meltzer would write Nick Patrick was going to turn heel as a ref in a role that was originally designed for Earl Hebner. However, WCW never made a strong enough effort to contact Dave and Earl Hebner, or they turned down the offer, but it's obvious that that's what the original role in this match was booked for. Instead, Nick had to play it straight the entire match. Um, now, of course, we're going to cover the, um, Nick's involvement in the show a little later, but do you remember that being the talk that this whole special guest referee thing, especially given what we know Bret Hart's role in that segment is going to be, doesn't it make sense that it would have been a Hebner? I had not really put that together until I started my research this week. Did you hear the rumblings of a Hebner coming in as the special guest referee? Yes, I had, uh, but it never panned out. And I just thought, well, it's another one of those rumors, the things that you hear and, uh, nothing really ever happens to it. So it just kind of came across my desk, so to speak, or was told that. And it just kept moving on. I mean, we heard so much stuff, Conrad. Well, chat me you up know. about that, because do you believe that this would have been, I mean, realistically, do you think this would have been a better finish? You know, I mean, what people remember about the finish of this, you know, we're going to get into it. Nick Patrick was a big part of, but had instead that been Hebner and Bret Hart sort of stepping up for justice, the whole thing could have been received much differently. Don't you think it could have been received much better, right? That is, if you think, if you think that everybody watched, both that shows. everybody knows what the Montreal screw job was, right? So you have to be inside. You would have right. to, well, first of all, you'd have to watch both shows. And, right. then, and then secondly, you would have to be a quote unquote smart fan. And, exactly. if, you, and if you were, then it would be tremendous. But yes. when that doesn't happen, they still instead go with the bullshit finish that really only made sense with Hebner. It, well, yes, they did. Uh, uh, and it, do you think, you know, I, I just see this. I, when it happened, and, and of course, we're into Goldberg and, and Mongo here, which I thought was very, very good. Two brutes going at it. Wait, uh, wait, wait. You liked this match? No. Again, I was going to say, Ray Mysterio and Booker T are, are chilling in the crowd. So is Canyon, but oh. Mongo's booked. So that's good. Yeah, and we got a table. What the yeah. hell? Goldberg's going to hurt somebody with that. Bet a dollar. I just saw this as Hogan not wanting to do the, the job clean to sting. Oh no, that's no. what I saw. We'll get into the creative of the finish. It just feels like to me that that piece of creative that we're going to see in a minute had a Hebner been there, man, that thing really comes together. Now, when it's not a Hebner comes off kind of fucking corny and maybe they should have done something else, but yep. we'll, we'll break that Thank down. I, Mongo here, who we know is Matt Coon's favorite wrestler, uh, no is, question. is taking on, uh, another guy who tried to kill Bret Hart's career. I guess that's what Goldberg and Vince McMahon have in common. They both screwed Bret Hart. Um, this is really the early days of Goldberg because Goldberg had just made his debut just a few months prior to this on nitro and he's programmed with Mongo right away. And this feels a little bit like the blind leading the blind. Does it not? Yeah. It's two guys who are very green, two guys who really couldn't work uh, a lick right now. And the fans are not really into the Goldberg stuff as of yet. So it, it feels kind of out of place here. 
he's, uh, he's going to have a match the next night against Glacier that I think a lot of people still remember because he speared the living shit out of Glacier the next day uh, and handed Glacier his uh, third loss on television at that point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what was the table doing here? Can anybody, can you chat me up about that? Why with it? Was there an angle leading to having the table there at ringside? No. And it made no sense that it was just laying there. It just felt like it was somebody just threw it out there and said, well, it's wrestling. Let's let them use a table. And yeah, right. Hey, we're, we're on the East coast. These guys know about ECW. So sure. They're good. And when, when uh, Mongo goes through the table here, you'll hear them chant ECW, ECW. I, 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 Hey, I get all that. But my question is, why is it there in storyline? It's stupid. Exactly. Uh, Bill Goldberg. Here's what Meltzer said. Pin Steve McMichael in five minutes and 59 seconds. Here's a great line here. They started brawling in the aisle. Unfortunately, they wound up in the ring. There was no heat at all because it was deaf, dumb, and blind leading the blind. It ended up with a spot where Goldberg punched McMichael who fell through a table, set up a ringside. There was a small ECW champ. Not sure if it was mocking it. Actually, it should, it, it should have, but it wasn't. Since it was the weakest table breaking spot in history, McMichael got back in the ring, selling his back. He tried his tombstone pile driver, but couldn't hold Goldberg who then finished McMichael with a jackhammer hideous negative one star. Uh, so he's pretty critical here of the match. And I think most smart fans would be, what do you think of this, uh, review from Dave Meltzer? Well, I think he's spot on in this review. I'm not so sure it's the worst table spot I've ever seen. Of course, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of table spots in the 20 years since then, some good, some bad, but he's right about the critique. I'm just thinking this now look at what we have seen. We have seen, uh, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero, right? Right. Good match. But what have we seen since then? Lots of, uh, less than nothing. Yeah. And here's my question about the way Goldberg's booked here. And I know we've talked about this on our Goldberg episode, but that's been a year ago at this point with Goldberg being somebody that you see potential in and you know, you're going to push, um, but you know, he's green as a gourd. Why wouldn't you try to put him in there with a more experienced style worker who could carry him to a match? Because Mongo's clearly not the guy, you know, Mongo's a wrestling novice and Goldberg is too. And this is your biggest pay-per-view. I'm not saying don't feature Goldberg. I'm all for it. I know he's going to be a big deal. But it feels like you'd want to put him in there with somebody who could give him a match. Like, why not put him in there with, I don't know, Canyon, Booker T, pretty much anybody in the crowd? Well, we were into this NFL thing. And of course, Goldberg had just played very, very briefly in the NFL with the Falcons. You know, we had shown on Nitro, uh, Kevin Green, uh, and, and all the NFL players who have been a part of us. And when they were just. I guess they were trying to go with that NFL thing once again. But again, Bill Goldberg was not a big NFL star. Steve McMichael no. was. And even in those packages leading here, they were all, all of those guys were taking turns, beating the shit out of Mongo. Right. So it's sort of proving that, Hey, he's not as good as these other NFL stars. And Oh, by the way, he's not as good as this guy who never really was an NFL star either. Mm. How great is that? When, mm. when he gets the drop kick and then jumps himself mm. over the top rope. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Hypothetically we can turn speak. this off. I'm going to go take a shit. Hang on. You know, what's disappointing about this is there's no miss Deborah here. 
And if Deborah was here, at least we would have something to talk about on the show, right? Yes, we would. Absolutely. We, we have seen, uh, the only beauty we saw was of course, Liz and we saw her moments ago, but yeah, that's it in the, now here's your table bump. He fell into the table. So what? I mean, well, you didn't get power bombed at the table or didn't get slammed on the table, but he fell on the table. I, I'm not so sure of all the criticisms by Meltzer. I'm not so sure that a worst table bump ever, uh, is right there, but it's a table and it should lead to the finish of the match. Give Mongo a little credit here. Okay. He's going to sell the back. See, going to sell the back, but he's going to try to pick him up and he can't do it. So there you go. Green, but at least he's trying to sell, right? And we're trying to sell t-shirts over at lowestrules.com. Don't forget your forearm, forearm, forearm t-shirt, the brand new Steinerized hashtag NFL TG finger licking cat bath married for life. I broke Wahoo's leg suckers. Got the no Loki, big hog, easy way, hard way. You pick Tommy young, hard to beat hypothetically evil, mean and nasty. Damn. I'm good. Flare headed first. The panty monster Parker's jump rope Academy button on a fur coat bills, glass bottom boat rides. I'm a Tom Zink guy, lowest rules, Klondike, blunder years, hot tag, pasta, steel rules, and more. It's at lowestrules.com and maybe the hottest shirt right now. Gigante Bologna. <laughs> maybe we should have a Starcade 80, Starcade 97. Who booked this shit? Or Starcade 97. Watch it again. Hit pause and go take a shit. Or something like that. Those usually don't sell, but. Just what comes to mind right now. Well, neither does Goldberg. He doesn't sell oh. either, but we are selling some shirts over at lowestrules.com. And when you pick up a shirt, eventually Tony will call you. Isn't that right? Yes. I've been calling, uh, people I had, uh, I counted up on, uh, on black Friday. We sold 169 t-shirts. Bam. So, so well, damn, I had to make a lot of calls and we sold some, uh, during the month of December leading up to Christmas. Now that it's past Christmas, I can call everybody for sure. Without, uh, without, uh, messing up any Christmas surprises, started calling internationally too, uh, Conrad, I've talked to a few folks in Australia. I got a few folks to call in England, some in Belgium, some in Germany and some in New Zealand. Thank you everybody for helping out on the wedding at lowestrules.com. So next up, we've got, um, Raven coming out and Raven, as we talked about this past week on our go home episode of nitro. Uh, he's been out with a, a serious illness here and he's dropped like 20 pounds and he's trying to get, uh, back, you know, hit the weights again and get back into shape and, and put the muscle mass back on, but he's been advertised in a Chris Benoit match here. And instead we're going to be treated to something else. The injury of course is an inflamed pancreas and they didn't want to have another no show. So he's at least here and, um, but he's not, he's not going to wrestle. Perry Saturn is going to fill in for him. What do you remember about this Raven injury? Well, I, I knew that Raven had been very sick. I also knew that they had to sub for him. I, we kind of knew that going in, but I also thought that, well, here we go again. No Conan, right? No Kevin Nash and now no Raven. And, and, and then to make, make things matter. Uh, make matters worse as we move along here uh, again, we're, we're being bookers and all you guys out there. I know you're bookers as well. Uh, Dave Meltzer was apparently a booker at this time. 
But as a booker, you would think that at least Benoit would get his licks in on Raven. He didn't. Raven got his licks in on Benoit. So I think, again, we didn't give him what we advertised, and we didn't give him something that would placate him as well. So we missed the, we missed the boat on this completely. And in other thing- words, uh, Raven can't wrestle, but he was able to do a spot on Benoit. Why couldn't he have done the job to Benoit? It feels um, a little weird, too, because you're almost like giving a middle finger to the audience when Raven announces, hey, I signed a contract, but I get to pick my opponents and I decide when, so I'm not wrestling tonight. Right. It feels like, hey, I know we advertised it, but nah, here you go. Now, of course, everybody really really bought this pay-per-view for Sting Hogan. But yeah. Conan not being there because of a family thing, Nash not being there because of a medical thing. It feels like you could have just said, Hey, we, we cannot clear Raven to wrestle tonight. Um, so we're going to cancel the match and Benoit demand an opponent from the, from the nest or the flock or whatever. Right. Well, I understand that, but this kind of fit more into the storyline of Raven. As, as lame as that sounds on this end, it, it did it, the Raven. You know, as his own man, he does his own thing. He calls his own shot, so to speak. So this kind of fit more within the Raven. Uh, what about me? What about Raven storyline? So I can understand why they did that in our attempt to rebook the show. But still, you're not giving them what they want. I think, again, the fact is, if you're not going to give them what they want in the match, you still give them a finish. Give them a finish that the fans enjoy. And they're not going to get one here. They get some good spots because Benoit can really go, and Perry Saturn could go, and uh, you had the uh, the flock on the outside. You got to get some good spots and some good wrestling, but you're not going to get the end that you want. And you could have very simply. Benoit, obviously one of the best performers in the world at this point. Do you remember Benoit ever having a bad match the entire time that you knew yep. him? No, never had a bad match, regardless of the length, short match, long match. Isn't that the highest compliment you can give a professional wrestler? I never saw him have a bad match. Yeah. Well, I could say the same thing about Eddie Guerrero. Right. And you know what? There are not many that, that follow in that. Would you agree? No doubt. I mean, look, we all love Ric Flair, right? I've seen Ric Flair have bad matches. Of course. Yeah. So, but yeah, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, I guess we could sit down and think of a few more big Cass. <laughs> no, sorry. I had to throw that in there. Uh, is he still working for the WWE? Uh, yes. He's injured. He's off TV right now. I love that. You have like a hard on for big Cass, not, not the kind that Klondike bill has, but still no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I just say that because, uh, into the corner. <laughs> when I guys, when I, I stopped wrestling, watching wrestling as soon as we went off the air, stopped it. Right. The, the next match I saw was a big cast match in 2017. <laughs> that's still one of so my that's favorite text that. messages from you ever is you some bitch. I was through with this and now I know who, who the fuck big cast is. I blame you. <laughs> so, okay. So anyway, that's, that's it. Uh, big cast. Hey, uh, shout out from all of us. We love you, buddy. Hope you get well soon. 
I love that the minute you you have any inclination that you think somebody may listen to the show, it's backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. <laughs> well, really, I mean, look, they they probably need him up there because hey, you think we could rebook shit on this? Let's watch some of that stuff. Oh my God! Anyway, Benoit and, and this uh, this again, Benoit has great matches because everything he does looks real. It's one of those things. It's the hook. I've talked about this before. Magnum TA, when Magnum was wrestling and he and I used to talk a lot, we had a lot of time together and we talked. We talked about his wrestling fans, the hook. You watch a show and you say, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, but that guy is real. When you saw Benoit wrestle and you saw Eddie Guerrero wrestle, you thought, that guy is real. And that's what we've seen from Benoit, what we had seen from Benoit through the years. The match is going to go 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Perry Saturn is going to get the win after uh, what Meltzer calls oodles of outside interference in a no DQ match. Uh, he wrote, Raven got on the mic before and said the match, uh, before the match, and said the contract states he can pick when he wrestles, who he wrestles, and where, and that he's not wrestling. Um, match was fast paced with Benoit's offense looking great. There were more missed time spots in the first five minutes of this match than in probably all of Benoit's matches in the first 51 weeks of 1997 combined. Mm -hmm. It ended up being saved by constant interference from the nest and Saturn did a few great moves. He did a nice walk up moonsault and there was a fight in the stands that distracted the audience from the match. what do you think overall? Because your boy Meltzer, um, gives it a star and a half. Yeah. Well, there was some missed spots. Uh, we were talking while we were talking before they went on the outside. Uh, there was a missed spot as well. Uh, there were some missed spots. I agree with that. Uh, I would give, I would agree with the, uh, uh, with the uh, ratings only because of the way the finish went down. Fans would have popped big time. If Benoit battled through all of this interference and pinned Raven or at least pin Saturn and then got some heat on Raven pop big time. And it probably would end up being a, received as a better match. See how Benoit tries to fight out of a, a side headlock or a front face lock. Those are just the little things that, that separated good wrestlers from great wrestlers. And you know, we, we, uh, we certainly, uh, he praises on Benoit. Well, we should, but, uh, uh, we should heap some praise on Perry Saturn as well. No doubt about it. Kid could really go, man. You know, he's, uh, sort of become a, a tragic story in wrestling. He's doing a, I think they're still doing it. A GoFundMe. What a, what an incredible maneuver that is Yeah, that we just Absolutely. saw to run up the ropes like that and springboard off into a, off the ropes into a moonsault onto your opponent. Such a talented guy. I loved him as one of the eliminators in ECW and, uh, I always enjoyed his work here as well. And of course he's had his fair share of tough times, but did a lot of good in his life too, before a streak of bad luck and maybe a handful of bad decisions. And, um, uh, life became very difficult for those two guys. Yeah, you're right. It really did. But, uh, let's go back to that. Uh, we saw just a moment ago, jumping up on the rope. I mean, you, uh, that's, uh, you're taking your life in your own hands. When you, when you jump up on the rope and spring off, you can easily slip off and miss easily. And it's worth mentioning. He's not doing that in ASICs. He's doing that in like combat boots. 
Right. What do Absolutely you re- good. Do you remember ever seeing um, Perry Saturn's work as a tag team wrestler in ECW with John Cronus? They were a tag team called the Eliminators. Did you ever see that ever? No, I, I didn't. I've always I been did curious. Not. I- you know, one of the things I want to do with you one day is, you know, maybe we'll do this as a bonus episode. I think it would be fun to sit you down and have you watch like some new Japan. Maybe we'll watch wrestle kingdom sometime and then we'll go back right. and watch like an old ECW pay-per-view. Right. And maybe like, um, have you ever seen like a, a CZ? Have you ever heard of combat zone wrestling or no. have you, have you heard of like, um, like tournament of death style wrestling where it's like death matches with crazy weapons, like light tubes and stuff like that. No, my God. You've never heard of guys hitting each other with light tubes. No. Yeah. What, what, what had yeah. they, what, what have they done to our sport? Well, we're doing that. I'm going to pick, uh, what? I'm going to pick Look. an old IWA or CZW DVD. And we're going to throw that in and throw it up as a bonus sometime, because I know I would love to hear your reaction to some of that. And I'm sure the fans would too. Yeah. My God. I, uh, you know, I completely removed myself from wrestling. Uh, the only thing I've seen, I've seen a couple of Sandman entrances in ECW, which I thought were spectacular. Sure. But then the bell rang, right? As they say. Well, that's what a uh, friend of ours says. Yeah. Wow. Brain buster suplex. How about that from Saturn? Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to watch it. I guess I, and Saturn kicks away. I, I, or, uh, Benoit kicks away. I, I guess it, my reaction would be, and, and look, I'm old, a curmudgeon, old school, uh, Harley race, Ric Flair, blackjack Mulligan, Ricky steamboat type stuff. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's Mortis. And I mean, how crazy is that to just, that, I mean, what, what the fuck is going on here? Now, yeah. first of all, great news to see Alex, Wright, Who had been in a bad way, you know, people right. thought he was gonna, that'd be the end of him after this brain aneurysm. And now. He's brought all the way back over from Germany to sit in the crowd and watch the show next to Mortis. Who's got on his, um, his really stylish J crew sweater. Yeah. And his members only jacket. I mean, what the fuck is going on? Like he's supposed to be some demon from hell, but he also knows a good deal at old Navy. Well, look, he's got to, you know, he's got to do exactly what Mr. Wrestling two always did. Always. Wear your gimmick mask wherever you are. Even if you're eating at the Waffle House, do that. Wait a minute. You saw Mr. Wrestling 2 eating at a Waffle House in his in his mask? Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. In Georgia? Absolutely. He never went anywhere without that mask. Anywhere. Especially if, like, let's say they're in Augusta and they're working a house show, okay? And he is in the Waffle House with a couple of the wrestlers, some of the baby faces he's traveling with. He's going to eat with the mask on. Well-known story. Um, so there, the, so anyway, the mortis is just, uh, just, you know, respecting the gimmick. <laughs> a few years ago, I saw, I went to the cauliflower alley club and saw, yeah. um, uh, Mr. Perfect's dad, Larry, the ax get inducted and he made fun of the destroyer, Dick Byer still wearing the right. mask. Uh, because he's still wearing the mask, like everywhere, even at the event. And so he's on stage and he yells destroyer, you old motherfucker. We know it's you dick buyer. Take the goddamn mask off. You're 85 years old. 
<laughs> and I don't know why, but that still cracks me up. Well, you never age with a mask on, right? No, he's still aged. <laughs> well, Crispin Wall and uh, tried a baseball slide drop kick, and now the crippler cross face. We need help. We need help. Let's bring in the flock. Oh boy, they saw it, and they bring in Riggs, and they bring in Sick Boy, and they bring in. Oh my God, they even brought in Hammer. What the fuck are they doing? What are they thinking about? And of course, there's no disqualification, so they can do that and help out Perry Saturn or Benoit would have won the match. Look uh -huh. how small, what a punk Kidman was back then. And he wipes out the flock. And nobody caught him at all. Nope. And if you listen to it with the regular commentary, you'll hear Dusty Rhodes say, I was wondering what in the flock was going on here. Very great Dusty Rhodes line from this. Oh, from this show. Yeah, everything Benoit does, man, is tremendous. What? Got the fans to their feet, so yeah, they're into uh, it. You know, they they love the uh, the flock run in. I did find it sort of interesting that for the entire time that we saw these guys, we would always see them sort of come through the crowd. They'd be sitting in the crowd and then come in that way. But both Raven and Perry Saturn walk in from the back. That felt a little weird to me. Oh yeah. It, uh, again, it's just not, uh, not thinking through stuff. And now here they come, they all come in. Nothing. Mickey J the referee can do. Oh my God. Lodi take a sign. Sick boy into the midsection and Benoit. Wow. With a hair takedown. Watch out. Kidman. Oh, <laughs> get out of here, punk. And now here's now here is where, but here comes your finish and they get a hammer involved in it. If Raven can do that, then Raven could have taken a bump and done a job. So here we see the end of it. And, and with the uh, rings of Saturn, uh, Perry Saturn's going to put the finishing maneuver on Benoit, who's out call for the bell and it's over. So you get a, a sub and that's bad enough. We understand why, because of his health, uh, but then Benoit should have fought through this and gone over. That's just me booking at Tony Schiavone, 24. It's worth mentioning, uh, Lodi is a uh, real life, best friends with Charles Robinson these days. Does that surprise you? No, as a matter of fact, uh, if you take a look, that could be Charles really right there. They could be the same person. Couldn't it? No, I don't think Charles was ever on the gas. Uh, okay. Well, the, then Lodi and, and Charles are, are apparently, uh, he, Lodi apparently is 75 years old as well. I wonder how he's, his body's holding up now all these years later. Whoa, Rob, White, you're right. 17 you guys out there, zero offer to catch Saturn. Zero. But they all fell down, even though they didn't get hit. <laughs> oh, and now the crippler. Here comes one of the great moves from Chris Benoit on Perry Saturn. Think it could have won the match. It didn't. But it was the rings of Saturn after the interference by Hammer. God, Hammer couldn't even throw a forearm forearm it's, it's worth mentioning thank you for saying it that way so yeah. many of these guys on this card have been in ecw you know dean malenko eddie guerrero of course raven perry saturn chris benoit so many ecw guys through the years did you ever feel like um maybe wcw should have looked at trying to buy ecw and almost develop it as like a developmental territory no, I never thought they should have done that. I, 
we we were big into the power plant as our development. We never even considered a developmental territory. And really, would if uh, would have ECW been good for a developmental territory, Conrad? Well, you know, what are you going to de- what are you going to develop? Just gimmicks over the head and kendo sticks and well, triple blades and well, guys well, going through tables and chairs. Okay, if dickhead. You, let me you, let me run through the the card so far. You five of the people who've been on this came from ECW. Now this I guy understand. though, this is one of your homegrown talent. You can catch him these days over at cowboyforangels.com and of course this past Monday I signed you up and uh, we haven't really had a follow up. How many appointments have you been able to book for clients and single ladies in the Atlanta metro area over at cowboysforangels.com? Zero. I haven't even looked. I'm leaving that alone. What do you mean you haven't even looked? I'm not. I'm not going. I know what you did. I understand what you did. I'm not going there. You realize that you could be on Showtime's hit show, Gigolos, right? I mean, that wedding's going to be paid for in no time if we can just get you some gigs over there. <laughs> I understand, but what is a guy with a 42 inch waist and a Vienna sausage of a dick? What is he going to accomplish over there? Wait a minute. Why are we talking about penises? What do you assume is happening in these meetings? Well, I know what's happening in these things for crying out loud. What do you think? Well, I did a good job on your write up. If, if you, oh, I bet the, you did. If you I bet you did, buddy. And I certainly appreciate it. I, I did want to say it's, it's, it was a great Christmas gift from you. Thank you so much. You, do you know how many of my friends, if I said, Hey man, I think I got you some loving and some cash would mean mug it. Like you're looking a gift horse in the mouth right here, Tony. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what it's like to be married 35 years, but I imagine it's very dry. I imagine <laughs> it's like a, the Sahara what? desert. That's what I imagine. Okay. Hey, let me, <laughs> am I wrong? I, I've met your friends. Okay. I, I've met every one of them. Jay-Z, Jeff Jewett. I even called, I, I called Matt the other day. Uh, all your friends are knuckleheads. Okay. Knuckleheads. If Conrad said, Oh, it's 10 degrees here at the Conradison, everybody jump in the pool. They'd all jump in the pool. Why are you saying these the crazy things? Jay-Z would. Oh yeah, that's true. Jay-Z would. <laughs> okay. So up next, we've got Lex Luger, and uh, I'm sure you're wondering, hey, why is Lex Luger wrestling and Rey Mysterio is not? We don't really know. But uh, here he is working with Buff Bagwell. They're going to get 16 and a half minutes. Mm. What the fuck? Um, what, can we about, what can we talk about in 16 and a half minutes? Well, CowboysForAngels.com. You know, I was <laughs> no, thinking, okay, let me ask you this. We haven't really talked about this before, but you have talked about your relationship with Scott Levy, the real life Raven, and that you, uh, sort of shared a comic book interest with him. And that's how you guys bonded. How was he different here versus when he was in the company the first time as Scotty Flamingo to me? Yeah. Behind, behind the scenes in real life. To me, it was the same. To me, there was always a, a, a Scotty that, that I knew and we talked uh, about everything, but wrestling we did. We, uh, our discussions never talked about wrestling. We talked about comic books. We talked about collectibles. Uh, we just, uh, it was kind of a, I don't know, kind of an escape for us to, to have those discussions. Did you, ever- you know, it, it goes back to this. Okay. It, it goes, it goes, you've heard the old line that every wrestler wants to be a baseball player 
every baseball player wants to be a wrestler, right? Right. Okay. We would have frequently a lot of, uh, as we got hotter, a lot of stars uh, backstage. Sean Casey of the Reds uh, was backstage with us. Roger, uh, what are we doing here? Now, I guess what they're trying to do here is uh, is waste time because they know they got 16 minutes, right? Oh boy, uh, we had we had a lot of a lot of stars, football stars. We showed them on TV. Every time we would go backstage and talk to these guys, like for instance with Sean Casey, I would want to talk baseball. He didn't want to talk baseball. He wanted to talk wrestling. So if you're in the business, you like to try to talk about something else you'd like to try to move away from it but if you're not the business was all that you wanted to talk about is it just me or is this show really really dragging here with buff bagwell and lex luger and we know what's in front of us that we've got minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes of this yeah we could have we could have very easily (laughs) So he sold just, a spit. Yeah. So just to catch you up at home, they, they were facing off about eight feet apart and Lex Luger <laughs> spits into buff Bagwell's face and buff took a flat back bump <laughs> off of a spit. Well, I guess if Joey Ryan can do a dick spot, anybody can do anything, right? Where are you at on the dick spot? I don't know that we've, uh, had a concrete answer. We know how Jim Cornette feels about the dick spot. You're fond of Dick. What do you think about the dick spot? Wait a second. Uh, ask me that question again. How do you feel about the dick spot? Okay. I, uh, I do not like the dick spot. Sorry. I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, and, uh, I guess in the world we live in now, it's very, very entertaining, but no, being old school, I didn't like it. Although I do like Joey Ryan's gimmick. I think it's very entertaining. Look at this power Luger, my goodness. And no response from the fans there. None. I feel like we should mention here that Meltzer, uh, not really a fan here. Marcus Bagwell pinned Lex Luger in 16 minutes and 36 seconds. This feud is elevating Bagwell's career. as he continually takes credit for beating Luger on flukes, but it also shows Bagwell's limitations as a worker, as he can't even come close to carrying Luger to a decent match way too long and boring. At one point, Bagwell called for Vincent to come out. Vincent did some interfering. Finally, Luger made the comeback, but it wound up with Bagwell knocking Luger into ref Billy Silverman, who took a bump. Luger then racked Bagwell, but no ref. Savage did a run in, but Luger racked him. Again, no ref. Norton did a run in and clocked Luger with a dog collar, which the announcers intimated was stolen from Rick Steiner, but put Bagwell on top and helped help the ref count three half a star. So... It takes everybody and their brother to get it done, but Bagwell's going to beat Lex Luger. And behind the scenes, these guys are pretty good friends. I know you've told us that they would travel and train together a lot, a lot of times with their buddy Sting. Yep. Do you remember uh, those guys' relationship and how it came together, or who else was in their clique, or who maybe they didn't get along with? Can you tell us anything about their real life relationship? Well, uh, I think uh, most people know by now that that Sting and Luger had a gym together in Marietta main event fitness, uh, Bagwell was there a lot and trained a lot and were friends with them because they lived there. The Steiners trained there a lot. They were buddies with them as well. 
guys who lived in the, that part of the Atlanta area, which is the, the Cobb County, Marietta, Ackworth, Kennesaw area. They all kind of lived around there. And so they were all buddies and, and worked out together and, and trained together. And they all got along together. And they all came, you know, they were all, uh, you know, I, I, Luger was the veteran here. If, if you look at uh, the, uh, the career of Marcus Bagwell, Luger was a veteran here, and, and I know old school is the heel calls the match, the heel leads the match, and Meltzer said that uh, Bagwell couldn't give Luger a good match or lead him to a good match. In reality, Luger's the veteran here. Luger probably should have led the match, but I don't know if Luger was able to do that. I mean, you got what you you got what you booked here, man. You got a you got Marcus Bagwell, who how long had he been in this in uh, in wrestling? Luger, uh, who's been in Luger, was you know, been in back in the old Jim Crockett days. So this is what you got, man. If you wanted a better match, book somebody else with Luger. I don't know, maybe the Macho Man Randy Savage. How about that? Well, but they just uh, rust, they just wrestled on Nitro the 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 week before. Chat me yeah, up Vince, about um, your favorite Buff Bagwell match. My favorite buff Bagwell match. Yeah. Judy Bagwell on the pole. I mean, that's still like the thing that he's most known for, right? Yeah. Right. D yeah. Did you ever hear any, uh, we've talked about this a little bit before, but lots of the boys have different theories about their relationship. And there's been lots of rumored innuendo. Like she would call in the Jr and announce that buff was sick and he couldn't make it. Do you remember people in the, in the company, whether it was the office of the boys sort of raising their eyebrow about the relationship between Judy and buff. Yeah, it, it was kind of like, and I was, uh, I was little league baseball coach back then in the, in the nineties, especially in the early nineties. And it was kind of like, uh, the, uh, little league, uh, the little league parent, you know, that, uh, she was always around. And, uh, I mean, we saw more of Judy Bagwell than we saw of any mom ever. Now that was because she was a big wrestling fan, but it was, it was kind of silly. Now, I don't know what she ever said to Eric or if she ever called the shots. And I'd heard the stories about her calling Jr. of course, who was you know, in charge of talent relations back in the WWE. Uh, but we all, it, a lot of rolling of the eyes when we saw Judy, because we had seen enough of her and we thought that she was just, uh, she was just too visual around too much, too vocal. And of course, Vince Russo took advantage of that, right? No doubt about it. He did. Yeah. So she was like the little league mom that, you know, that should have stayed away. But I guess in, in, if you think about it, she got a payday, at least I would think she did on her Judy bag on the pole match. And I kind of wonder if buff was, uh, well shaven that day. So what you're talking about, of course, is the rumor and innuendo that, um, Judy Bagwell used to shave buffs coin purse. Right. Um, we've talked about hearing that rumor before here on the show. Have you heard any other sort of silly, crazy rumors about buff Bagwell like that? No, that's about the craziest I've ever heard. Uh, to be honest with you, I do know that, uh, and this has nothing to do with his nutsack, but I, I, I have read recently and, uh, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he had, uh, he and Jr had a lot of heat, right? 
with each other. I think that was well known. Maybe he could have got on my radio show. Jr. said uh, when we released him, uh, Vince told me he got to cut him loose, and I said, "What do I tell him?" And Vince said, "I don't care what you tell him." So the according to Jr., the heat was put on him. So I don't want to get into that. That's for Jr.'s podcast. But uh, uh, what are you trying to pull out of him here? You think there was something else done between he and his mom? I'm just trying to make no, no, not like that. No. no. Okay. Uh, you know, let's let's make a transition here. Uh, hypothetically, did you ever ask your mom to shave your balls for you? No, no, I haven't. Most most guys who are in their uh, later years will not even let their mom see their nutsack. What what in the world are we getting into here? Wait a minute, you're saying later years. Would you are, shut the hell up? Are you saying that when you were a younger man, you just whip them out and say, "Hey, mom, take a look at this. Look, I can do the no, brain." No, well, mom, I can do the brain. My this diapers, is the maybe. greatest night in the history of my sack. Um. <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm trying to free, man. It's a fucking buff Bagwell Lex Luger match. They've had a goddamn yeah. headlock on for 14 minutes. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you trimmed your bag? <laughs> well, as you know, the older you get, the lower they go. Right. And you're 60. So you could probably do it. What? I mean, pull them up to your chest and do it or I mean, half sack will down. travel. <laughs> Rich down. Man, I want to, I want to let you know, uh, all of our listeners out there, I apologize. Have a happy holiday. Did they I drop apologize. in the water when you sit on the toilet? I feel like they hit the water. Uh, I don't know. You think, wonder where JJ's are now. Uh, there's no telling, you know, I, yeah. I, the rumor and innuendo from the horseman is that he had a mental bucket full of nuts. Right. And that, uh, whenever he would be handling some business, from behind, yeah. you would see it peeking yeah. out at you, and he looked like yeah. Johnny Bitch with the glove. <laughs> Roll up by Luger. One, two. Uh, Billy Silverman counted a two count. Back to the attack goes Marcus Bagwell. I'm yeah. trying to get away from this conversation. We're having one and a two. And no, it's only a two count. Only a two, Billy Silverman says. Hey, here's a question for you. Since we're talking about razors, and I really wish we had a razor sponsor right now. Yeah. Lots, another fucking headlock. Uh, uh, lots of guys in wrestling shave their whole body. And this is like yes. a thing that they want to do to look good on TV and whatever. And I get it. Right. But it feels like you guys would have held stock in razors and they can't shave their own back. And I know in wrestling, a lot of the old timers had some of the young, young boys sort of wash their back for them. Cause they didn't want to, after they've been bumping on the mat all night and they don't know how often that mat's been cleaned. They want to make sure they're clean. So they don't get some sort of weird infection. Yeah. Do you remember like back shaving and, and gr wrestlers grooming, other grooming being commonplace in wrestling? Oh yeah. They had back shaving parties all the time back in the locker room. Curious through a back shaving party. What kind of question is that? What kind of, you know, they're going to say she wanted to remember shit. Well, you know what? If a, a wrestler started to shave another one's back, I wasn't going to sit around and watch it. You go grab a razor away from and pitch in, right? I no, know you, you want to help in. out. Yeah. Let me ask you, remember, uh, Hulk Hogan, before he became Hulk Hogan was the incredible Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And he would and shave he... his chest in like the atomic cloud or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. So who shaved that for him? Have you heard those stories? Well, I assumed it was you. 
Well, no. <laughs> Room and innuendo? I don't know. Maybe you know. I just. Oh, uh, dude, come on. You know who it was. It's Brutus the fucking barber beefcake. So that's my question is were Lex and Buff here, were they shaving buddies? Did they like get a couple of lady bicks and go to town? No, 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 no. A lot of guys use electric razors. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the Norelco. So were you or, ever invited to one of these shave parties? Was, was I a uh, part of these shave parties? Were you a party to the shave parties? No, I wasn't a party to the shave parties. I did, uh, offer to bring in some, uh, chips and dip, but I, I, I never was part of the shave party. <laughs> Say, Hey, we're going to have a shave party. What are we going to do? We're going to watch buff, get his nut shaved. And then we're going to shave the back of Luger. I said, okay, what should I'll, I bring? I'll bring they French said, onion dip. dip. It took a long time, but we somehow managed to make this buff Bagwell Lex Luger match. They're still in a headlock, boys and girls. Yes, they, yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, but Luger's coming back. I mean, Luger's te- coming back. Technically, it's a sleeper, but I guess Luger just found out there's chip and dip, and he's fucking out of here. He's ready to go home. <laughs> Is it onion dip? Oh. And for you guys who like to uh, take a toke on the old joint down then, it's Oreos and onion dip together who does and that now, now wait a minute you used to get high and, and drag your oreos through french onion dip oh my god yes the fuck is wrong I, with you what kind of monster are you you're 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 <laughs> shitting after a shower you're dragging oreos <laughs> through onion dip what's wrong with you i tell you another thing to do you know the cheese that comes in the can oh the god cheese? no on, on top of the oreos too that's good stuff man wow it's mm. it's, it's no wonder that uh you're not, a, you haven't made any sales over at cowboys for angels.com. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And you can put Oreos all over my body and squeeze the cheese on it. Let's just roll the credits. We're not going to beat that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like I know people tuned in to hear about Hogan and Sting, but Hey, this is our, this is our Epic, right? This is our, this is our, this is the high water mark of WCW. So if this is a high water mark of WCW, why are we shit? Oh, there goes Mike Jones. Who? <laughs> Down he went. If this is the high water mark of WCW, why are we so miserable? <laughs> Does this tell us all we need to know? Look at the crowd. As soon as Luger sort of signals for the rack, everyone yep. stands up, starts making the motion. The rack was over. We should remind you that just four months prior to this, he beat Hulk Hogan on Nitro for a record rating. So he's clearly a top guy. Sure he is. Oh, God. Enter Mike Jones. Who? What's his number again? 281-330-8004. Hit Mike Jones upon the low. <laughs> God. Oh. <laughs> look, look, everything he does is awful. Like, he Watch is- this. Watch this. Jump. Head over. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Next time we go to an autograph signing, we see him there. We should just beat his ass. Well, I think just, you need a picture because I would love to get, th- have you seen the meme that became a thing? Lonely Virgil. <laughs> no. So our friend, Sam Roberts years ago in the early days of Tumblr took a picture yeah. of Virgil at a like comic-con type deal, like an autograph signing. And they had. Virgil sitting at a table all by himself with a table skirt that said 
wrestling superstar Virgil, and there's not a soul in sight besides him. Like literally no heartbeats within a quarter mile, just him at this table by himself. And he was sort of nicknamed after that lonely Virgil. And it got over to the point that this holiday season, the WWE made it into an action figure where it actually came with that same banner. So you could recreate the lonely Virgil macho man here doing a run in trying to body slam Lex Luger. He's not having it press slam for his troubles. Hopefully macho man got paid in his negotiations to sort of save the six man tag. And now he's doing his best to save this Lex Luger match. He's going to get the rack. And, uh, as we heard a minute ago, the NWO run-ins are not done. Hypothetically, when Luger's got you in a rack and he's bouncing up and down, do you think he's chanting something? And if so, what would it be? <laughs> shave me, shave me, shave me into the midsection. And here comes Scott flash Norton. what do he have? The dog collar. And then we told that we didn't sell that dog collar, or did we? I uh, yeah, you sold it. Okay, thank you. I'm glad we sold something. Now let's pick up Sarah Silverman and get her in. Wake up. Okay. What? Okay. One, two, and three. And Buff Bagwell and the NWO win again. Unbelievable, man. What a fucking awful, awful match. Right in the middle of the card. And here comes Liz, our 19th mm. run in. I don't know if you can count Scott Norton as a run in, but yeah. he's more like a jog in. Um, yeah. A bounce in. Elizabeth is here, and I mm. hope she's here to check on Macho Man. How weird is yeah. it again to see Macho Man, Lex Luger, and Liz out here at the same time? It's a pretty sad situation as a wrestling fan. It is. It's as sad as seeing Benoit wrestle. Well, but for and different you reasons, you know, as a kid, yeah, well, sure. I sure sort of thought reasons. Macho Man would live forever, you know, and right. I know that sounds ridiculous, but like now I'm convinced that Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan are going to live forever. Like they're never mm-hmm. going to die. Like yeah. you and I will be dead long before Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Die. No question about that. Think about this as we take a look at the replay. Now this event as a downloader here today was exactly 20 years old. Think about what has happened. In the 20 years since then, to Luger, to Macho Man, to Liz, to Buff Bagwell. Uh, I mean, Mike Jones is still worthless, as he was back then. But 20 years, a lot can happen in somebody's lives. The only good thing I can say about this one, Conrad, is it's over. Can you imagine... If Scott Steiner punched you in the back of your left shoulder, do you think it would render you unconscious? No. Well, it might, if he had a dog collar on. Okay. Okay. Look at the crowd. The crowd is, is, is dead for the finish. They yeah. really wanted to see Luger and the rack. It feels like the booking committee, because I know that's what you like to call them here is a little tone deaf as to what the crowd really wants. Do you think that's fair to say? Oh, I think it's been that through history. I always thought the booking committee or the bookers at that time, and it was always a central booker. And then also the, the agents helped him out. I always thought they based, they just based things on whether they liked him or not. They had, I, I don't know if Vince's writers take a look at numbers or take a look at uh, metrics. I don't know what they use now. 
Look, I know there's got to be a lot more available to them than there were back then. But I always thought bookers tried to book just based on what they thought worked and what didn't, with not any input from ratings or crowd response or anything. In other words, I bet you when they all go to the back at a Luger's match and Buff, Buff's match and the Macho Man, I bet you all, uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Terry Taylor, everybody was involved in everything. We're giving everybody high fives, shaking hands. Great job. Spectacular. Good job. Bet you that happened. So as a wrestler, what'd you think? Well, we did our job. I, I, I just, with the exception of, I, I just don't think enough time was put into it to sit down. Let's book a card. And now we sit down and then let's think about it. Is that the right thing to do? I, 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 I didn't, th- listen, I didn't get involved in that. It was horrible work. Uh, but I, I just, I think they booked for themselves with uh, what they liked as the only feedback that worked. We've got another replacement match here. Of course, we've been building towards Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning against Ric Flair for the United States title. And they flip-flopped between Halloween Havoc, World War Three, and this was supposed to be the last match in the feud. Of course, it was all set up at war games when Kurt turned on the NWO and forfeited his spot in the four horsemen and instead joined the NWO. Well, DDP is as hot as a firecracker here coming off the feud of the year with macho man in 1997, but just like macho man, he finds himself without anything to do. So DDP hot act, nothing for him. Scott hall, hot act, nothing for him. Macho man, maybe the second hottest act of all time, nothing for him. None of them are booked on the pay-per-view, but at least two of the three managed to get stand-in duties. I, I guess maybe, maybe you could argue that Scott Hall had a viable spot here, but DDP turns out the best in this stand-in situation because he's going to become U.S. champion here working with Kurt. I feel like as far as making a substitution, it's probably as far as in the fans' eyes an upgrade to go from Conan to macho man, but this feels like the best substitution of all because DDP, although a lot of people here, obviously here to see Ric Flair, he is over like Rover with this crowd because of the diamond cutter, right? Diamond cutter was incredible. You mentioned earlier about how the diamond cutter shirts, the DDP shirts were selling. Uh, I had, uh, kids in Matt's band class buy like 60 of them and they all wore them for, uh, a show. Uh, and that's how over he was because of the diamond cutter and the fans really responded to this match. But, but again, Conrad, I, you're right. Uh, this is, this is a good sub and it ends up being a, a very good moment because he wins the U S title. And he runs to the crowd with it. The fans go crazy. Uh, he's selling these ribs, of course, got them taped as you can see. Uh, but uh, again, it was, it was just a feeling. It was a feeling at the announce desk. I don't know if it was a feeling backstage or not, but it was a feeling that just this whole night was not going correctly because of the subs that we had. And it just, I don't know. It just, it, the whole night did not feel right to us. At least it did not feel right to me. And these guys are pretty much getting into it. Well, let's talk about what Meltzer thought of the match. Uh, DDP is going to beat Kurt Henning in 10 minutes and 52 seconds. Tip 52 seconds. Easy for me to say. 
to win the United States title. Both worked hard, but the crowd wasn't into it. And the match was only okay. They traded near falls with no heat or intensity. It was like page was trying to put together a good match and Henning was going through pages motions. Page did a few nice reversals off Henning's attempts at his winning fisherman suplex before finally hitting the diamond cutter for the clean win two stars. And, um, these guys have been working together quite a bit. Uh, they worked together on November 10th and Kurt needed five stitches and got a chip tooth in the process working with DDP there. They had another match on December 1st on nitro. And a lot of you may remember uh, because the camera didn't show it, but we've all heard the story of where referee Randy Anderson was nailed in the head with a golf ball that was thrown by a fan. And he wound up hurting pretty bad for the rest of the night. And it staggered him. Uh, that of course was an interesting finish where Rick Rude pulled uh, Anderson out of the ring for the DQ. And then the entire NWO comes in, uh, and Savage knocks out page with the United States title. And this is the catalyst for Charlotte saying that they're going to crack down on the way drinking is handled at live events. So in the NFL and NHL and a lot of concerts, they get to a certain point in the program where they don't sell beer anymore. And I know in football for a long time, it was at the end of the third quarter, there's no liquor and no alcohol whatsoever available in the fourth quarter. Um, they started to institute that after this incident, because there was lots of other craziness that night in Charlotte. What do you remember about the golf ball incident? Well, I remember how angry we all were. Uh, I mean, I, uh, Mike today, I also mentioned to you that Mike today was hit with a battery in the face one time. Uh, and, uh, we had, uh, we had drinks thrown on us. You know, we had our set, as you know, at this time away from the, uh, away from the ring. And there were a lot of times that, that fans in a section to our right, to our left were, were facing us. And if they didn't like something, they would throw things at us and throw things at Mike. And I, and I realized them hit Mike in the face and it, uh, you were talking about Randy getting hit with a golf ball. I remember that, uh, that Doug Dellinger and the security, uh, heightened at that time. You see security right around the ring right there. Yep. The guy in the blue shirt. Those are all Doug Dellinger's guys. We did not, because of all the incidents that happened, we did not, uh, we used, of course, in the stands, you know, their, uh, ushers and their security, but around the ring, we use our own guys. And they all had these light shirts on there. You see a couple of them right there. Uh, it heightened our security and Doug, it really made Doug Dellinger's job a lot more difficult. A lot of people thought Doug didn't do much of anything anyway, but that wasn't the case. Let's talk a little bit about DDP here because, um, his 1997 has been off the charts It's the year that made him. Uh, early in the year in January, they're in new Orleans, uh, hall and Nash attempt to recruit him, uh, a diamond cutter on Scott hall for his trouble. And then he dips out through the crowd. A few months after that, he starts the feud with Randy Savage. Uh, Savage breaks a couple of ribs for him. He just tapes them up and keeps going a year after this, uh, I guess even less than that. Six months after this, he's going to start a program with Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman. Uh, he'll be the U S champ of course. And then a year after that. So I guess 18 months after this, he's going to beat Ric Flair, uh, clean in the middle in a four way battle where he becomes world champion for the first time. And everybody is in that four way, by the way, 
when do you think some of the rumblings amongst the boys, whether it's sour grapes or not started to rear their head about the nature of the relationship between DDP and Eric Bischoff? It started when he first started getting his push and stayed with diamond Dallas page throughout his career in WCW because they were friends. Not only that, they were neighbors. You know, they lived in the same area. They may have lived in the same neighborhood in the Atlanta area. So the rumblings were always there. I think it was something that DDP could not avoid or could not get rid of. So I think he just kind of ignored it. Uh, it, there've been so many rumors about, about them. And I don't want to get into that, but, uh, the, the fact is that diamond Dallas page could not, uh, had to ignore it. And it, it really made things tough on him. I thought, because let's face it, the diamond cutter was over. The fact is with or without Eric Bischoff, the kid worked very hard and earned, I thought his spot. Anybody tells you that diamond Dallas page didn't earn it on his own is wrong. There are probably a lot of people out there say, Oh, the reason diamond Dallas page got the big push was because he and Eric Bischoff were good friends. That probably had a little bit into it, but it was because of Paige's work. Nobody cared about I always told him, and I've said this before, I said, if everybody put the effort into their gimmick that you put into it, everybody here would be a millionaire. Uh, they didn't, and he was very Randy Savage-like in that the effort and that he put into his gimmick. So I felt bad for him in a lot of ways about those. The rumor but in the window involved Kimberly. Is that what you were alluding to earlier? Yes. Right. Use your imagination. Yeah. Clearly Tony does. Right. Want to Use say. your imagination. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's because sometimes we say things on here and we don't, we allude to things on here and they're misconstrued and they shouldn't be. Well, here's the thing that's worth mentioning. You know, I guess we should just say, I don't think for a second that buff Bagwell is a real escort. You know, he signed up for that gig thinking he'd get on showtime and he, you know, made some money and got a little press on little coverage and Hey, roll tide. And then right. I also don't think that his mom really shaved his back. I think somebody said it would be funny. And one of the boys told right. another boy and eventually it becomes this funny. Ha ha. But I don't, yeah. I don't think she's in the back, you know, handing out bicks and taking care of coin purses. Right. Right. And I, can I add something to this? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to screw up the, the finish here. I don't know how much more we got. I can add something to this. Some jack off on Twitter mentioned that I said that the only reason that Tommy rich became world champion was because he had sex with Jim Barnett. Did we ever say that? No, no, we never said that. We never said that. So wherever you are, and I wish I had your Twitter uh, handle right now, you are a lying piece of shit. So there you go. It's funny Trying to do the diamond cutter. It's funny because we're doing our best to try to be entertaining here and, right. and, and, and we are catering to our 99% male audience. So right. we're being a little blue. We're being over the top. We're being sophomore. We're being ridiculous, but it's all in good fun. We don't hate JJ Dillon or rich bikini and blah, blah, blah. It, it's don't think so deep on this guys. We're trying to make you laugh. We're not right. We're not Walter Cronkite over here following a report. No, no. It's in 60 minutes. Exactly. And so, and, and I understand what stuff that we do, not everybody will like, but we certainly do appreciate all of our, the people that download our podcast and, and have a lot of fun. And we bring up things that you may have heard 
rumors, innuendo that you may have heard. And we never say, oh, I saw that happen, or I know for a fact that happened, unless I saw it. Uh, so, uh, again, thanks for being out there with us. We appreciate it. But don't ever, don't ever, don't ever misquote me. Well, don't ever do that. I mean, I remember last week you told me no, specifically you couldn't wait to start servicing the ladies of Atlanta on CowboysForAngels.com. See? That's a direct quote. That's a direct That's quote. Cool. Tweet it to at Tony Schiavone 24. <laughs> if you'd like to be blocked. Here's another quote for you. Conrad, right. Georgia doesn't stand a chance against Oklahoma. Wow. That's what you said. Those are your words. Wow. Diamond cutter. Diamond cutter. One, two, three. We got a new U.S. champion right in the midst of a lion piece of shit from Alabama. Yes, it's Diamond Dallas Page. And when he gets to the back, everybody's going to get a chance to feel the bang. Or maybe they felt it while he was in the ring. I don't know. Uh, oh, wow. There you go. What? Diamond Dallas. The diamond cutter. Bang. <laughs> bang. Yes, yes, bang. And he goes out through the stands. Yes, sir. The people's champion, by the way. Conrad, that's what we called him. People's champion. By the way, there's Louis Spicoli. Louis Spicoli. Uh, what's his name? Louis Spicoli. Spaghetti. Louis Spaghetti. Yeah, Louis Spicoli's in the ring. Was there? Was there? I didn't even see Louis Spicoli, but there he was, right there. Well, because it looked like he was dressed like a security guard. He had on the black it and did. yellow, like he was right. a security guard. And Louis Spicoli is um, the most out of place person on this entire pay per view, and you'll see what we mean after the finish. Call this replay here, Tony. Okay, he comes around, uh, tries to go across, and then turns it into a diamond cutter. Bang! That's the thing about the diamond cutter. You never know when he's going to put it on. He can get it on from so many angles. The one, two, three. Your winner, the new United States heavyweight champion, Diamond Dallas Page. How about this celebration? Yeah, baby! Right off of his greatest year ever, Diamond Dallas Page is the champion. But you know what, Conrad? He never would have gotten that title if he wasn't friends with Eric Bischoff. And that ain't even the half of it. You ought to hear what they do to old Kimberly. <laughs> you ever hear how, hear, hear how Tommy Stop. Rich won the world title? <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of rumor and innuendo, uh, Eddie Guerrero talking to Mark Madden. That's on WCWWrestling.com. Uh, and they're, uh, take a look at that old school compact laptop my god i love you put a t on compact mark madden <laughs> by the way friend of the show one of the more controversial yeah. radio hosts how often do you still keep up with mark these days well we we uh we'll dm back and forth some things uh and uh hey man mark got a lot of heat but i like mark a lot he is very controversial and he says things that i would never say um uh, so but he's mostly you know he's big time into uh nhl and all things Pittsburgh. So here comes your favorite WCW wrestler, Bret Hart. He's out here with uh, no glasses, no tights, mm -hmm. no jacket, just a black tucked in t-shirt, which, uh, yep. I think is why Eric Bischoff no longer has a podcast. He had a fight about tucking a t-shirt and whether or not that was cool. Where are you uh -huh. at on tucking your t-shirts? Are you still t-shirt tucking in 2017? I never tuck. I never tuck anything. Well, if I tuck, if, if you I start tuck, tucking, you get to cowboysforangels.com, but you're going to have to start tucking. If you get over there, I know you've been married yeah. a long time. Look, 
Look, do you even remember I, how to talk? When was the last time you talked? I don't talk at all. Well, wait a minute. If I look, for instance, I'm going to the Rose Bowl. Uh, and I'm going on the uh, staff charter and you're going to get Craigslist out there and you're going to tuck a stranger. I've got to, I got to wear a tie. And so I got to tuck a shirt in, but I got to have a coat on first. I think fat guys, if they tuck and their belly laps over their belt, it looks stupid. All right. So I never tuck. Here we go. Eric Bischoff coming to the ring. And of course our host of Starcade, or so it feels for the second time tonight. Mr. Yep. Scott Hall with the big intro. What did you think of uh Bischoff A booking himself in a match and B I don't know. Where are you at on this? Yeah. I, I'm not I don't have a problem with it. In the storyline of who is going to uh who is going to run Nitro, why not have Bischoff out there, right? I mean he set himself up as the uh as the heel boss. And this was long before Mr. McMahon. This kind of set the precedent for it. I don't know if it was long before, but it was before uh, Vince McMahon and and all that stuff. And Bischoff made wrestling. So if he made wrestling, now he's looking serious at us. Don't talk about me, motherfucker. Uh, so why not have him? And he knows Larry very well. He and Larry have been down the road together. So I didn't. I didn't have a problem with this match at all. Bischoff. Hey, guess what? Guess what? We booked it. And the actual guy showed up that we booked. So, hey, thumbs up for that. Bischoff is 41 when this match happens, and his opponent, Larry, is going to be 44. This is Bischoff's very first match ever. Um, but uh, we, we should say that he had competed uh, in martial arts. Um, Not the mixed martial arts that we have now, but had competed uh, in uh, karate. Oh, he's a badass. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Well, no, no, he does. I mean, he, 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 that's why he's dressed like that because he had competed before. I, I didn't realize that that made you a good wrestler. Jr. Tell me more. <laughs> you know, that, I boy, say, that boy I, was all American in Oklahoma. I did. He played I both sides say, of the ball in high school. Do you know that? That's what they call an iron man. Huh? That's a press. Look at Larry Zabisco here with the shiny jacket, bringing yeah. out all the stops, the living legend. It's too much, man. It's too much. Oh God. Just every time I see Larry Zabisco, it makes me want to laugh just because of what <laughs> such a great guy and such, uh, such a, such a, such a simple man, Larry Zabisco. Did you see his uh, hall of fame induction speech a few years ago? No, I did not. Boy, if you, if you ever have trouble going to sleep and that JJ Dillon podcast, isn't doing the trick. Yeah. Turn that shit on. Did he talk about golfing? Dude. Did he, it's did about, he talk about, I think, <laughs> I think his actual speech is like 91 minutes long. It's as long as this fucking podcast, except he's not talking to anyone and he's damn sure not talking about tucking shirts or shaving Bagwell's bag. Uh, or Eric Bischoff or Kimberly. Let me remind uh, everybody that, um, I don't know. 40 days prior to this. Okay. The guy in the ring wearing a t-shirt was the hottest wrestler in the business. At the biggest pay-per-view in company history, he's refereeing Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff. Yep. 
I'll take what is, book of bad ideas for 500, Alex. Was he cleared to wrestle by this time? Why wouldn't he what have been cleared the, to wrestle? Matter what, were they in some sort of, I'll sue you, no, you won't, legislation type bullshit no. with Vince McMahon at this time? No. Okay. All right. That's what we heard. Well, how's he appearing on pay-per-view? He's not wrestling compromise. I, I don't know. God, you know, you, you heard at this time between the two companies, you heard so much bullshit stuff, right? That makes sense. That I, I had heard that he was not cleared to wrestle. Now, does that mean medically? Does that mean legally? I, I don't fucking know, but I had heard that. So this is what they had for him. Um, but I'll give you, I'll give you this. If he could wrestle, he should have wrestled. Let's, let's call this match and let's have fun with it. All right. All right. Zabisco. Oh, Eric Bischoff nailed him. Match over. Eric won. Wait a minute. Some of a bitch just hit me in the side of the head and get fucking Scott Hall off the apron. Thank you. Eric Bischoff has announced, uh, that he's got a podcast and he's celebrating. So let's see how this goes. (laughs) Okay. I quit already. Skipping around. Okay. He's rambling about politics. No one gives a shit. Yeah. Talking about what happened to WWE and he doesn't know. I didn't watch that. Nick. I don't know. I didn't watch that. Ooh, blow to the head. Yeah, baby. Whip it up. I'm the fucking man. Give me some tents. All right. Back. He goes again. I remember the winner of this secures nitro for its company. If Larry Zabisco wins, it stays at WCW. If Eric Bischoff wins, it stays, it goes to the NWO. Which, by the way, will kill our business in about four years anyway. And here's Zabisco backing off. Ooh, see, Zabisco's got a little, little martial arts training as well. See how he's going in, leading with his left hand? And Bischoff knows it. So he now wants to call time. And he'll have a little pep talk here, a little strategy session with Scott Hall. All right. Scott Hall said, listen, a lot of fucking no-shows today. I've already done a job to the giant. Go out there and do some crow shit. The crane. Got it? All right. 41 years old, putting his ass back in the ring. And here we go. All right. It's worth mentioning here that, um, the satellite magazine, which is called on sat. Yeah. It actually was delivered to subscribers on Christmas Eve. All right. And it lists the new show NWO Thursday thunder. Oh, wow. So five, uh, four or five days before you actually watched this pay-per-view, you saw the yeah. listings from the cable systems and you knew what was going down here. Um, Meltzer would write Zabisco did about as well as he could given Bischoff's lack of experience on the size difference, but it must have hurt to have to sell that offense. Funny thing is that after the match, everyone was praising Bischoff for the great job he did in the match. I mean, it was great for a 41 year old guy who had never had a pro match debut, but the match didn't get anywhere near the heat. It should have. And it seemed the air was going out of the crowd, the longer they were out there, but I guess that's the wrestling business. Uh, overall, he says Bischoff did a good job selling and he was blown up by Zab- he, <laughs> he was blowing up Zabisco doing the rope a dope and Zabisco came back and Bischoff even took a vertical suplex. Uh, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, nothing was ever made clear by the announcers other than Zabisco winning a quarter star. What do you, what do you mean? Nothing was made clear by the announcers. He says it appeared the Bischoff never submitted from the choke using his black belt and Hart just raised Zabisco's hand as a reverse right. decision. Although right. nothing was ever actually made clear by the announcers other than Zabisco winning. Yeah. Zabisco winning and Zabisco saved nitro. We made that perfectly clear. It was a screwed up finish. What should we say? Should we say, Hey, I don't understand what he did that reversal for. I have no idea what's going on here. We didn't understand it. It just kind of looked funky to us. So what are we supposed to do? So we supposed to shoot on this. Is that what we're supposed to fucking do? One of the things that I've wanted to talk about with you for a while is the relationship between Larry Zabisco and Scott Hall, because they had been boys for a long time, going back to the AWA and Scott always felt like he owed a debt of gratitude to Larry for the way he took care of him in the AWA. And right. Scott says he put me through, which means that he gave him a long match on TV and didn't just eat him up when he could have. So he gave him a lot of credit for that. And he even says that, uh, it was Larry's idea for him to walk through the crowd when he made his debut here in WCW in May of 96, with the idea being, if you come in from the back, then you're just one of the boys. But if you come in through right. the crowd, you look like one of the outsiders. And I've always been curious because you're pretty tight with Larry. What was the relationship like with him and Scott at this point? At this point, we had a lot of respect for Scott Hall, uh, and really loved, uh, working with him and was kind of like an advisor to him. Uh, and they got along great, but you know, he, he kind of backed away when Scott would, you know, Scott was a big time shit disturber in the back and, and Larry stepped away from that. But as far as helping him in the ring, as far as his character was concerned and things that he would do, Larry would help him with that. But, you know, he would wipe his hands clean because Scott was a big time shit disturber. He liked causing trouble. And I don't know if that had anything to do with his drinking or not, but they had a very tight, very good relationship. And I think still do, don't they? Yeah. As far as I know, and, and of right. course, Larry and Eric have a past together as well. They both cross paths in the AWA uh, right. So everybody in this whole thing is, is pretty familiar with each other. I feel like right. we should mention too, that in the way you guys promoted this match, you on nitro hyped up the Bruno San Martino match with Larry Zabisco at right. Jay stadium. And you actually mentioned that he beat Bruno. Larry actually lost the match, right? Were you instructed to change that finish or did you just freestyle it just to make it sound better? Or did you just, you know? I, I freestyled, I freestyled that. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not going to say that in trying to promote Larry's this that great athlete, you're not going to say he lost. Right. 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 Yeah. But I can tell you this, I've said it before. Uh, I've, I've absolutely said it before on this broadcast. One of the great angles in wrestling history. Sorry. I use the word history, but it is go back and watch that. Watch the angle leading up to it and watch what happened at Shea stadium. Just watch it. Just what you just can't look at your, it. Just look at it. <laughs> you Would you look at it? <laughs> Are you looking at it? Just, just watch it. Just watch look it. at it. Look at it. Uh, we should also mention that Bischoff here is working hurt. He had a pretty serious knee injury that he suffered, uh, in training that Meltzer even suggested could have been a broken kneecap and he was wow. going to need surgery to, to, you know, go ahead and repair it. But he felt like he needed to finish the match. Unlike right. Kevin Nash, who had indigestion. Hmm. There you go. 
there you go. Now, you know what? Uh, Eric is using, uh, I, I think for Eric is doing quite well here. Don't you, for a guy who's never been in the ring. Well, a lot of people think he did a great job and, uh, I'm curious Yeah. backstage. Were you the first person to tell him afterwards? Great job, boss. Great job. Uh, I was not the first, but I did go and tell him great job afterwards, or I may have just run to my car, which, which is usually what I did, which, uh, was actually referenced the next night on nitro when you were sort of busting everybody's balls about being the only person on the announce team to not come back out during the NWO nitro. And today can't help but say, yeah, because you left the building right away, <laughs> which I thought was kind of fun. Okay. Uh, the bar, I, I did leave quickly. The bar right here. Uh, does really well. They get a 1.9 buy rate. It's going to gross 6.85 million. It's the third biggest pay-per-view of the year, uh, behind Tyson Holyfield from June and De La Hoya Whitaker. So when you see that, you know, they're in that conversation, it's really, really hard to imagine that this company is going anywhere, but up and way up the prior year, Starcade. Uh, only sold 8,327 tickets. They did a gate of 113,000 and a buy rate of 0.95 for 2.85 million. So a record here for Starcade, and they're going to break that record just eight days after this. As far as the live attendance, they're going to have 23,058 paid, which will be the biggest paid crowd in WCW history. And they'll do a $510,000 gate. And that's on January 5th in the Georgia dome in Atlanta. Watch this gimmick. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. I just thought this was <laughs> it went to the crowd. <laughs> it kicked him with a loaded foot, but it went to the crowd. Don't ever think that was meant to be. That was tremendous. It's fucking awesome, is what it is. <laughs> That's us, man. We'll load the boot. <laughs> but then the gimmick's going to the crowd. And someone in the crowd said, oh, my God, this is just a piece of uh, cardboard wrapped up in tin foil." Oh, big pop here for Bret Hart. I was sorry to interrupt you in your, your numbers there, but I thought we needed to. No, I'm glad you did. Inside of 50 mention. days here, Bret Hart has knocked out both Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff. And now yeah. Scott Hall's yep. getting him some. Right. And, and now we got a kind of a convoluted finish. Big pop. Fans are going wild. He sends him down a Canadian flag out front. He's going to put the sharpshooter on him. And of course, now the fans are very happy about it. And you know what? This is a good moment. This is a great moment. It really, really is. Uh, but the fact that he just kind of reversed things and raised Zabisco's hand, why couldn't Zabisco pin him is my question. I agree. Why couldn't he have a one, two, three? So uh, again, we are kind of, kind of confused on the finish here. It's not the first time in this, uh, in this show that we're confused. Now he's trying to kill him here, actually. Uh, not the first time that we've been confused in the show and obviously won't be the last. So he just goes over, he looks around, and he raises Larry's hand. Why couldn't Larry just pin him and then he raises his hand? That's it. Zabitsko saves Nitro. Larry Zabitsko, the living legend, wins. Yes, sir. Bret Hart, good job. By comparison, the old record for Jim Crockett promotions was $380,000 for Starcade 86 at the Omni in Atlanta. 
uh, and the uh, famous Texas Stadium Kerry Von Erich Ric Flair match from '84 did 402,000. So this is a big number in any era that they're able to draw here. And just a week later on nitro, uh, of course, the decision here is going to be WCW is going to keep nitro and the NWO is going to get thunder, or at least that's what the original plan is going to be. But the concept being one announced team would be Bischoff, Rick Rude, and Mike Tanay on nitro and Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco and Bobby Heenan going to the Thursday show which would eventually become Wednesday during baseball season. What do you remember about these early rumblings of nitro versus thunder being a WCW or an NWO show? I heard so many different combinations. I heard so many different plans and basically I kind of heard them from Eric, uh, and a lot of times I heard them from Craig leathers as well. And I just kind of like, you know, it's just shrugged it off. I didn't have an opinion either way. Uh, if they want me to be on nitro, I'll be on nitro. I'll be on thunder. I'll be on thunder. Again, I was getting money. I was getting paid a contract. So it didn't matter to me. So I kind of shrugged it off. Conrad. I, I just, uh, I wasn't one of those thinking, Oh no, they're going to take me off nitro. They're going to put me on thunder and they're going to put me on TBS out of TNT. And what is this going to do to my career? I wasn't like that at all. Right. Uh, on a personal level. I, I just basically, I had no fucks left to give. And 20 years later, still none. Well, let's Uh, start talking about the backstory of our main event. Of course, when we go back, we see in 1996 at bash at the beach, Hulk Hogan would become the third man with the NWO and he would turn heel and that set the business on fire in a big way. And that storyline continued through fall brawl, 1996. And on the week leading up to that, we would see a sting imposter jump out of a limousine and attack his friend, Lex Luger. And as a result, everyone's led to believe that sting has turned and he's a heel. Of course, the real sting reveals himself at Starcade, And we learned that the imposter sting is Jeff farmer. And we would refer to him as NWO sting. And so from that point on sting would be dressed as the crow and in the rafters and never wrestle. And rarely appear. And when he did, he would either be shown in the rafters or shown repelling down to the ring. And he carried a bat and he took care of everyone. And he became the hottest merchandise seller in the company. And we started that run, you know, from September of 96. And now here we are in December of 97. So we're talking well over a year. And this is the payoff on the way here. JJ Dillon would try week after week on nitro to get sting to sign a match for a contract against a member of the NWO. And every week he would offer him someone different. Of course, he would constantly turn that down. And then they do the big contract signing, uh, during a TNT movie in October. And it sets a huge rating for the company. And now we're set and it's made official. That contract signing you guys said took place at the MGM grand. Do you remember where it really happened? Yeah, it it just happened in a studio. Uh, it was filmed on October 25th and, uh, it was uh, aired during the assault on devil's Island, which did a 4.2 rating and then was shown the following week uh, on nitro as well. And so the, once the match is signed, it becomes the talk of it being the monster payoff. And it clearly was, and they're pulling out all the stops here. 
And I, one of the things I've always sort of looked back on and felt was a little different and a little off is this entrance video that we're going to see for sting in a moment. Of course, right. First we got Hollywood Hogan out playing air guitar, classic NWO stuff. Bischoff's not with him, of course, because he's just been beaten up, but here's Hogan, maybe the greatest heel of all time, uh, playing air guitar with the NWO spray painted on the WCW world title belt. And, uh, it's finally here. We've been building and building and building to this for years and years. He was the top baby face of the world wrestling federation and sting was the top baby face of WCW. And now they're going to square off and almost a dream match of sorts. Uh, and this is really one of the only dream matches left at this point because Hogan and flair had already happened to death in WCW, but now we're going to get sting and Hogan with sting as the hottest baby face he's ever been. And Hogan as the hottest heel he's ever been. Right. Wouldn't you agree with that? It was, uh, it was set up as, as matches should be set up, make them wait. Make them want it. Don't show it to them. Make them have to pay for it. I go back again. I'm sorry I have to relive this moment as we're getting ready to show Sting's entrance here. Uh, I go back to 1978, Blackjack Mulligan and Ric Flair. They wanted to see it, and the Crockett's held off and held off and held off months after months until they finally had the match, and they sold out everywhere. Don't let them see it. All right, the Sting entrance, pretty cool. It's a, apparently a Sting t-shirt there. And now they're going to do some sort of uh, laser graphics on the ceiling. Yeah, so th- they're going to do uh, pyro, and they're going to do like lasers, and then they're going to do different lights and the thunder and lightning effect. And there's a voiceover from a child. Right. H- who's the kid doing the voiceover? Uh, Bischoff's son. So that's Garrett Bischoff? Garrett Bischoff. The, uh, the light show here is on a screen and we see, you know, different images, sort of like we built WrestleMania six uh, right. with Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. And we see the outline of, a uh, of sting and then Hogan and then the crow makeup and the scorpion whose idea was this screen with all of the different laser effects. And what do you reckon that cost WCW? Uh, wow. Uh, cost. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, but that was. That was uh, our lighting guys and our effects guys getting together with Craig Leathers and coming up with something because Bischoff wanted something out of the ordinary and, and special, and also our production people. Uh, we had a guy who was in charge of lighting uh, through the years named Jeff Bornstein, uh, who was very instrumental in, in things like this. And uh, I, you know, I mentioned Mike Shockett, who uh, did a lot of our videos and a lot of our special effects, and, and so – this was just a, a, a creative effort by everybody off of Bischoff saying, I want something special. Now I didn't like this. I'd like that. I like the lights in the air, but I, I thought the pyro was out of place here. The pyro sucks and sting coming in from the back really ruins it for me. You know, sting yeah, had been right. This outsider. Is he with WCW? Is he with the NWO? And then once it's revealed, he's not with the NWO. He was still positioned as a loner. And he would right. come down from the ceiling and it was a spectacular entrance, but for him to just walk in from the back made him just one of the boys and not this, right. you know, sort of lone ranger type character. And I felt like as he walked down the aisle here with his trench coat on and his full sting bodysuit, 
and just casually walking to the ring down the aisle, it feels like a totally different presentation of the way we've seen sting come to the ring for the last 18 months. Well, that's because it was, and now what he's trying to do here is build anticipation. Another thing is the last time you saw Hogan see sting on Monday nitro, he was shaking in his boots. And I know he had the, the head in the box, but sting rappelled down on the zip line and he was scared. And now he's not scared of him. Right. Well, so they're just laughing at him. So I think that's a, a great point because you're talking about a Monday nitro and he repels in, he zip lines in, right? It, that, that was six days ago. And now here on the pay-per-view, he doesn't zip line. He doesn't repel. He just fucking walks in. Right. And this is what do you stare think? down. What do you think here too? See, I'm thinking that there should not even be Nick Patrick should not be even be able to give instructions. I know face to face here. We got the two top stars are finally going to go at it, but I'm thinking based on all that's happened, all the NWO takeovers, all the things that they have done to sting's friends, even pretending that sting was one of them, that sting shouldn't even stare him down. Stings to just, they should just get right fucking into it right now. That's what I would have done. It's hard to argue, you know, it's also worth yeah. mentioning that this sting character is much different from the one we've grown up with. The surfer right. flat top sting is gone. Now we've got this crow like character that almost everyone is credited with Scott Hall to the best of your recollection. Was this a Scott Hall idea? Best of my recollection. Yes. Which did you prefer the crow sting or the surfer sting? Well, uh, I got it. I liked them both, but I got to say the crow sting only because of how we built this thing up. Do you, uh, um, do you know whose idea it was for him to start doing the, uh, the rafter deal being shown in the rafters and then eventually repelling down to the ceiling? Well, that was a combination of Hogan and Bischoff, uh, getting together with sting and coming up with something very mysterious. Hogan had a big, had a, uh, a large input into that as well, because this was Hogan's angle. This was his major angle. Do you, um, do you know how sting felt? about doing the repelling and all the sort of extra stunts that yeah. are not typical in wrestling. Yeah. He was, uh, he was very, very cautious and very, um, I'm not going to say upset about it. Very anxious about going up that high and doing those things. Did you ever have a conversation with Sting about how he felt about Hulk Hogan coming in because he was clearly the top baby face for the company for a long, long time. Uh, a lot of people called him the franchise of WCW. And then Hogan comes in and obviously all the focus is on him. And so sting sort of has to take a back seat in real life. Was there any sort of animosity or weirdness between the two over that? No, uh, sting was never like that. And, and you know, you use the term Conrad backseat, right? But when he opens up his paycheck, he's not taking a backseat. There you go. One of the things I, I've always found interesting about this match too, is how it almost didn't happen in that Hulk Hogan was who they wanted to be the third man of the NWO, but the backup plan was sting, right? Yes. So hypothetically had Hogan not done the turn and it was sting who did it. There's no chance this works as well or, or, or has us where we are right now. Right. That's right. Because, uh, not trying to say anything bad about sting, but sting would have never been the heel that Hogan became. Right. Never would have been it. I mean, Hogan was a fantastic heel. We've proved that. 
uh, on this show when we went back and watched Bash at the Beach of how great a heel he became. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Now, again, see, I, I just think this, this match is just uh, – look, Sting is building – we built up this mysterious Sting who's kind of a loner now, who is, is not the Sting that we remember and the excitement and the screaming and the colors and everything. But to me, the match is just too slow right now. No, I agree. It should have come out like a stone cold match, lots of punches and kicks and brawling and it should have got right into it, but that didn't happen. And a lot of that has come down to the creative decision for the finish. And a lot of people think that that's what did it. Uh, Let me quote Eric Bischoff. He was on woo nation back in the day, my podcast with Ric Flair for CBS. And he said, what, what had happened over the course of a year is he hadn't been working out talking about sting. He wasn't engaged. He'd show up, he'd do his thing and he'd do it very well. It was great. But then he'd get on a plane the next morning and he'd disappear. We wouldn't see him for a week. But at the end of our first meeting, talking about where things were going when it was over, Hulk and I both looked at each other and go, man, we can't go there. He isn't ready for this. It didn't feel like this was a priority. Uh, originally the plan was for sting to go over Hogan clean, but Bischoff made the decision to change course quote. Hulk Hogan takes the heat for this. You changed the finish. You didn't want to do it. BS. That was my call right or wrong. It was my call. Eric said he felt like the chemistry wasn't really there between the two and that the expectations were maybe too high. He also said that sting was going through some personal issues at the time. So when they all got into a room, the day of Starcade to work out the finish, he said it was clear that sting hadn't worked out for an extended period of time. He wasn't tan. And he came in with a lot less intensity and energy that both Eric and Hulk had expected him to. Hmm. So as a result, they come up with this ridiculous finish. Was there some sort of talk in the back about Sting's physique? Even Meltzer noted in the observer that Sting looked much smaller. In your opinion, did Sting physically look different to you? Yes, he did. He physically looked different. Let me tell you, let me tell you something about sting that I think everybody who worked in the business knew sting was different than anybody else in the business. He cared more about other things. I, I, I don't think that maybe I'm wrong. I don't think sting was as into the business as the other boys were. Right. So I I think that sting, when he, when they wouldn't see him for a week, he would go and do other things that. He cared about other than wrestling. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that his shape being in shape here mattered. Well, only thing that mattered to me was a good match and guys who don't don't who necessarily were never in shape. Sometimes would have great matches. He looked okay to me here. He didn't look as big as he used to, but he had that, that bodysuit on, which helped him out a great deal. But, but again, just, the pace of the match and the, and the side headlock, you know, just stomp the shit out of him. Go for the heat, get the fans behind you. You know, it's just deliberate looking tan. Does that matter? Yeah. Does it matter? No, it does. No, I don't think it does, but yeah, I don't either. I think we're, I think we're, I think Eric, I may be wrong here, but I think Eric and the guys are reading too much into the look of sting than they were the actual angle itself. The, regardless of what shape you thought he was in and wh- the, here we are and we've built it up to this and don't, 
change your mind, make it work. Let's talk about make it absolutely work. Let's talk about Nick Patrick. Um, he'd been in the business a long time. He's the son of the assassin, Jody Hamilton. He said was probably working the go position for WCW, which is what they call the gorilla position. After WCW, eventually he would find his way on the WWF roster during the invasion angle, and he would become the Alliance's heel ref. And eventually when that angle ends, he becomes a referee on SmackDown, but he was like the WCW referee for a long time, or at least in my opinion. Sure. Um, it was announced earlier in the show that they had a little bit of a lottery and they put all the names into a hat. And that's actually what you guys said. They put all the names into a hat. And JJ Dillon says, Nick Patrick is the guy who was selected. Well, he had been doing the heel referee gimmick, sort of like Danny Davis had in the mid eighties for the WWF, including refereeing matches for the NWO, wearing a ski mask on WCW Saturday night when they would have the NWO Saturday night and even wrestled a match at world war three 96 against Chris Jericho. But we haven't really talked about how he enjoyed the heel referee gimmick. Did you ever have a conversation with, with Nick about that? I did not about how he enjoyed being the heel referee, but I, I can't say this was another kind of odd part of this show. He had been the heel referee right up until this point. Right. And now all of a sudden snap flash, he's calling it straight down the middle. How does that happen? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Unless he does the quick three count, which he didn't do. Did he? No. He did not. Let's go See, ahead. It, it, it all just did not fit. It, the, the, it just did not fit into this night. Now, yeah, as we're going to see at the end of it, big cheer, everybody's happy, everybody's happy with Sting. But if he plays it down the middle and all of a sudden one, two, three, three count, uh, a fast count, uh, then I could understand it working. But it, it, none of this fit together at all. I remember thinking Nick's going to be the referee. After all the shit that he's done, then if all the shit that he's done, he should still try to do all that shit. And Sting should have his back to the wall because the referee is fucking him over. But it didn't happen that way. Look, Nick right now trying to pull Logan back. Trying to be, call it straight down the middle. It just, none of it fit to me. Sometimes you gotta, sometimes you, you just gotta, you gotta put logic in, into what's going on. Um, hmm. Meltzer would write sting in a sleeveless outfit looked really small compared to the past. Hogan looked lighter than usual as well. Not much of a match, uh, sting through a few drop kicks, but mainly Hogan dominated and Hogan's selling was pathetic. Uh, what'd you think of, uh, that criticism? Hogan's selling was pathetic, right? I wouldn't call it pathetic, but the match was clunky and slow. And I agree with the only thing Sting had going for him was a couple of drop kicks. Uh, I don't know if I'd call the selling pathetic, but the match was clunky. He wrote Sting did a no sell spot on a suplex and then pointed at his crotch like DX right. or NWO. So much right. for product differentiation. Um, Hogan then used Sting's bat on him. By the way, I noticed that this week. The referee sees Hogan swing the bat at Sting, and there's no DQ called. Isn't that hmm. weird to you? Uh, again, nothing fit. Um, Meltzer says Sting reversed a whip, and Hogan took the weakest guardrail bump in recorded wrestling history. We just saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's being very critical of the whole thing. You know what's coming here. I guess we should uh, 
we should take a look here and pay attention right. because it's going to be one of the biggest moments in company history. Yes, it is. And I, I think if you go back again, after you listen to our podcast, go back with the sound on and listen to, listen to my call here because I didn't say three because I had no idea this was going down. I didn't know it was happening. I was absolutely confused on what was going on. Now, one, two, three, three count quickly, right? Here comes the it big boot. Been, There's the big boot. Yeah. The hand to the ear for the crowd. Right. And clears the arm out so you know what's coming. Right. And it's time. He takes it forever to do it. Takes his time. There's the leg drop. One, two, three. And Bret Hart says, don't ring the bell. And we say, well, he's a legal referee. I didn't call the three count because I, I thought I was thought a quick count was coming. So I thought it was going to be a, a false finish here. Who told you the quick count was coming? Uh, I, I, I don't know who told me that. Maybe Terry Taylor. Maybe Bischoff. I thought it was going to be a quick count. And then all this would happen. It wasn't a quick count. No. You can go back and you look at it a hundred times. It was not a quick count. I think Nick Patrick told somebody that I was going to call it a quick count regardless of what he did. I didn't Well, because we'll, I was confused. We'll cover that in just a second. Here, here's where we, we start to see some of the genius of Hulk Hogan. Sting is going to whip him into the turnbuckle, give him a stinger splash, almost send himself over. He goes to reverse it and Hogan won't go. Hogan holds right. it. Sting's kind of curious, like what the hell's going on? He had to position his back so he wouldn't see that. There's a run in right. from Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton. So yeah. your your old pro Hulk Hogan knew, not yet, brother. Yeah. Here you go. And Here you, comes the stinger splash. And you may have saw Hogan call him in to do the stinger splash after the guys had cleared the ring. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah, you know, uh Meltzer can shit on Hogan. He always has, but uh, again, the old pro knowing what he's doing. Points and at, now it's at Bret Hart, which is sort of interesting given that they both use this as a finish. And of course this was the finish of survivor series in Montreal last month for the WWF ring the bell. The crowd goes nuts and here's your payoff a year and a half later, Hulk Hogan's been dethroned WCW's one and the big gold belt that Hogan threw down. Dave Penzer has ran down and the first guy in the ring, Lex Luger, of course, there's Luis Piccoli. Luis Piccoli <laughs> is in the ring and, uh, also coming in the ring. And, and I always, I, I thought this was sensational. There you see, uh, Rocco rock in the ring. Adams in the ring, get ready because you're going to see hard work. Bobby Walker coming to the ring. <laughs> well, when, when I think of WCW performers to celebrate a big moment like this, I think hard work, Bobby Walker and Luis Piccoli. Yeah. I do too. And There's King. hard work. Hard on your right, tan pants, khakis. Hard work, Bobby Walker, aka inmate number four seven nine three two. <laughs> so there <laughs> it is. It's the culmination of the biggest angle in wrestling history. Stig's going to get up right up in the camera. He hasn't spoken in eighteen months, uh, and he's going to look at it and say, blah, 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 "Mama Sita." <laughs> Did you ever figure out what the fuck he's talking about here? No, it's probably some sort of code back to his family. Hacksaw waving the flag. Uh, and there they are. Silver King, uh, Ultimo dragon, 
Blood Runs Cold with Glacier. Ming is in there. What a scene, Conrad! What a scene! It feels underwhelming and as shit, man. What's that? It feels underwhelming as shit. Okay. Sting's won the world title. 12 minutes, 54 seconds. It's his fourth time. Um, Meltzer would give it a quarter star. Mm. <clears throat> Meltzer said with carefully orchestrated theatrics and regular run-ins as time was running out on Monday night, some segments of which were actually totally botched up. Sting had become the number two merchandise seller in the business behind Steve Austin. All this while never actually wrestling a match. At first, Sting was supposed to make his return to the ring in February 97 at the Cow Palace for Super Brawl, but the gimmick was working so well, they decided to hold him out for almost all of 97, climaxing with his winning the world title from Hulk Hogan at Starcade. It was obvious the gimmick was paying off big. Anticipation for the match reached a level unseen in pro wrestling in this country in many years. The signing of the contract during a break-in of a Hogan movie on TNT drew one of the largest made for cable movie ratings in history. It would turn a great phrase to say that 16 months of work was exposed about halfway through Sting's walk down the aisle before he ever got in the ring. The mythical superhero turned human right before the fans eyes. Uh, and to mention what you talked about earlier about Nick Patrick, um, Meltzer wrote, Nick Patrick was going to turn heel as a ref. Uh, and he had to play it straight the entire match after a lackluster match, which even saw boring chance just two minutes in Hogan delivered his foot foot to the face and leg drop finish. At this point, the plan was for Patrick to deliver a fast count and have sting still kick out before three, but Patrick would still rule it as a pin leading to Brent Hart's avenging the wrong done at him at survivor series and getting the rematch restarted and taking over as ref leading to sting winning the scorpion submission in the middle. A funny thing happened. Patrick didn't count fast. Meltzer writes, you can miss time a ref bump. You can blow a move, but how do you blow a fast count? The only reasonable answer to this is Hogan changed the spot in the ring and Patrick didn't want to cross Hogan because of all the power he wields, even though the plan was different coming off the Hart Michaels deal. This has been the catalyst for everything in the business since is Bischoff Hogan and nobody else, perhaps thing decided to do a non fast count where there was supposed to be a fast count angle. Is your head spinning yet? But that doesn't make mm. any sense either, because why did they have the announcer sell it as a fast count the next day so hard when it wasn't? And if that was the case, who got screwed and made a fool of would have been Bret Hart, who, if anything, this company wasn't portraying, trying to portray in that matter after the last company did. Uh, Sting tried to kick out, but Hogan didn't sell it by flying off, giving the first assumption maybe some more validity. I'd say coming in the wake of Hart Michaels deal, that most likely scenario is that Hogan, who no doubt was negotiating for all he was worth as far as getting whatever he could out of doing the job, apparently was able to manipulate the finish into appearing that he had actually won cleanly and he was screwed by Hart, which wasn't the idea the fans were supposed to have. Now, years later, Nick Patrick was a guest on Dave Penzer's podcast just earlier this year, and they asked him about this particular match and the incident, and he said, one guy asked him to do the fast count and the other guy asked him not to, but he didn't want to say who was who, but he also said the guy who was in charge didn't want to make a decision as to what to do. So he made himself scarce all night long. So Nick couldn't ask him what to do, but in the end, we know what happened. So the implication is that Hulk Hogan 
said, we're not doing the fast count, brother. Just do it regular. And Nick Patrick didn't want to cross him. And Bischoff allegedly was the person who told him to fast count. But Nick Patrick sided with Hogan. That's the rumor. That's the innuendo. What do you say? Do you believe that it was a Hogan audible? Uh, no, no, I believe that's, that's the way it was. I believe everybody was in agreement for that. And I just think that I think all this is bullshit. Why? Why in the, in the, in the, why in God's name in our biggest event, does it have to come down to this bullshit? Just everybody agree on something and go with it. It's it's too easy to blame Hogan. Right. It is. It because well, first of all, Meltzer always hated him. Right. Uh, and so he's always going to point the finger at Hogan and and put it in there. Uh it's too easy to blame Hogan. I'm not gonna blame him for this. So <sighs> man. Oh, it's 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 terrible, man. It's it's terrible. I, I'm not the, the, uh, what happened to the Montreal screw job didn't help us out at all. Did it? It had an no, impact on this, on this finish. The whole finish for this could have been totally different. If yes, Hebner was there and he was the referee that was randomly drawn and they would have done, he would have done a fast count and right. Brett would have put a stop to it. And Brett would have punched Hebner mm-hmm. and then Brett would have done the exact same finish. I mean, right. if, if you just switch that out and Hebner's there right. and the fast count goes down, yeah. it's pretty creative. It gets exactly what you wanted done. I don't think it was necessary, but it still would have been something that would have had everybody talking in a buzz. But when it's Nick Patrick, it just feels womp, womp, womp. Yes. Yes. The whole fact that Nick Patrick's going to be our referee. And now five minutes into the match, he's calling it as a straight referee when he hasn't been before. How do you, how do you explain this as an announcer? How do you make sense out of it? You can't. And now instead of focusing on the match, which ended up being shitty in itself, we're going over in our mind. Where are we going here? What are, where are we going? We didn't know the very, what's interesting is you guys have built this match up since September of 96. Here we are. 15, 16 months later. And not only do you do it here with a botched finish, but you do it the very next night on fucking free TV on Monday nitro, uh, which is one of the things that always irritated me as a wrestling fan who would buy the pay-per-views. It's like, why not just wait a day and watch it for free? Yeah. Um, of course you guys don't show the finish the next day on, on in Baltimore. Uh, that's where nitro is coming from, but you announced that there is going to be a rematch and Bischoff accepts on behalf of Hogan. And about six minutes into the match, which is 10 Oh four, uh, just as referee, Randy Anderson was bumped after being in the wrong place. When sting did the stinger stinger splash, the show goes off the air. So after the show goes off the air with the referee down, Nick Patrick does a run in Hogan hits the leg drop. And this time they do the super fast count. And it looks like sting is kicked out, even though it was a fat, super fast count. And then sting gets up and clotheslines Nick Patrick and the match continues. Eventually, um, Hogan submitted, but he didn't tap out to the scorpion death lock. 
and JJ grabs the belt and goes to give it to sting, but then Bischoff and JJ are playing tug of war with the belt and, uh, Bischoff knocks out JJ with a kick and then sting dropped Bischoff with a reverse DDT, which was the biggest pop of the night. Now that all happened in the overrun and they're doing this to try to set up Thursday thunder. And there was rumor and innuendo that they were trying to even plan a third big match on pay-per-view down the line or some sort of blow off in Las Vegas. The nitro rating is huge. The next day it does a 4.6 raw just did a 3.6. So it works really, really well for them. But Meltzer says that there were more complaints about this the next day at Turner broadcasting than anything in WCW history. Is that the same thing you heard? No, did not hear that at all. I wonder who's talking to Meltzer. Um, in hindsight, what should the finish have been in your opinion? In hindsight, the finish should have been sting going over clean. That's what it should have been. Right. No, no, uh, Bret Hart, uh, no heel referee, making a fast count. Randy Anderson being the referee, calling it down the middle. Sting goes over one, two, three. He can do something pretty creative well, with that, some sort of reversal or something. You know, look, when uh, when Hulk Hogan wrestled the Ultimate Warrior in the good match, WrestleMania six, it was a well-thought-out, well-planned, well-booked match between two guys who weren't the greatest workers in the world but gave us a great match. This could have been the same thing. It should have been Sting going over clean. That simple. Get what you pay for. Lots of questions on Twitter who have the exact same opinion as you. Just why couldn't Hogan take a clean loss? Do you think that this was Hogan politics or Bischoff really deserving the credit for making that decision? Even though Bischoff says it was my decision, it feels like one, and this is just me talking, that was heavily influenced by Hulk Hogan being in his ear. I don't know how anybody Yo, could disagree with that. No, I don't disagree with that. I agree that it was Eric's decision, but it was also Hogan in his ear. If if Sting would go and do a show and then they wouldn't see him for a week or or so, then how was Sting in Eric's ear? Right. So, uh, yeah. I think Hogan was in his ear, uh, but I think it was Eric's decision. Uh, Eddie Hyde on Twitter or on Facebook wants to know, why didn't God just kill us all at the end of this WCW pay-per-view? Well, he was going to make us suffer until 2001. Then he killed us all. Uh, Eric wants to know why was things so much bigger than at any other time in his career? Was he on the gas? It's sort of funny. Cause I think he's the only guy who, who pitches that everybody else says that he was much smaller. Uh, did you, did you think that sting was considerably smaller here? Yeah, I did. I don't know where he got that from. Um, Tyler, of course, wants to know any more detail you can offer about the Nash deal. Do you remember any sort of fallout, uh, that night or the next night or in the following weeks on Nash for missing this date? I think there was a lot of heat with the boys that he missed the date. Uh, but that's the only fallout I can remember. You know, Nash went on to have a pretty good run with us. So how much of a fallout could he have? 
Here's what the fans want to know. Adam McGuire Ooh. asks, what did Tony get Lois for Christmas? Yeah, you ready? I'm ready. I got her a Samsung power bot. You know what that is? I do not. That is the, a version of the, of a, uh, vacuum cleaner. That is the robot that vacuums by itself. So we can get this damn dog hair up and she can still sit and watch TV while it's doing it. Did you ever have a conversation with, um, Nick Patrick after, no. after this match at all about the fast no, not, count, no discussion whatsoever. None. Was there any heat, uh, with, from the boys about him not doing the fast count? Was that the talk of the locker room the next day? No. Uh, Conrad, I don't know what the talk of the locker room was. Can you give Wish me, can you give me anything? Or is it just time to roll credits? Motherfucker. <laughs> You want me to lie and say all the boys thought no, that? No, listen, I'm just trying to drag, drag anything out of you. And you're, no, 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 no. Well, the, so be well, interesting, motherfucker. Well, listen, Bruce does a lot of no's, and he gets 10 times more downloads than I do. Yeah, well, you know what? He's entertaining the rest of the show. So sit over there and, and scratch your nuts or tell a joke or make us laugh or try to help us here as we close out Starcade 1997. Okay. Never talked to Nick Patrick. I know a lot of the boys thought it was kind of business as usual with Hulk Hogan that Hogan had a profound influence on sting and we would not have a clean finish. I know there were a lot of grumblings there, but as far as, uh, it being a hot topic with Turner and the executives, I never paid attention to what the executives at Turner thought, because I always thought they were a bunch of fucking idiots. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. They had no clue. The only good move they ever made was putting Eric Bischoff in charge of the company. So what they thought, what the Turner people thought didn't fucking matter to me. And no one really talked about it. Our next night in Baltimore, when we had nitro, we all talked about how funky the finish was. And I was upset that I didn't know that was supposed to be the fast count or not, but no, as far as what the boys thought, there was a couple of boys that thought, well, again, it's Hogan being Hogan. He has control of his creative control completely of his character. And if he doesn't want to do the job the way you want it done, you got to uh, defer to him. Ah, oh, man, what a show. Star K97, yeah. man. Biggest pay-per-view in company history. Sets a huge record. And with every metric except creatively, and you could argue that they never really regained their momentum, but it's just not true. Eight days later, they were doing bigger business than ever. Goldberg's going to get hot. 98 is going to set the woods on fire. Rodman and Malone are around the corner. 98 is going to be when things get really, really hot and then start to cool because as hot as Goldberg was, it could not compete with the buy rate that we had here at Starcade 97. I think you could argue that the, um, the build, the angle, the hype for this main event is maybe the greatest in professional wrestling history. And uh, I had a good time breaking it down today with you, Tony, and I appreciate you being a good sport and let me bust your balls and talk about shaving your balls and everything in between. And I want to remind everybody that we are still going to be back here on this coming Monday, new year's morning, wake up with Tony and I 6am 
It's going to be a little peek behind the curtain. Some of the best moments, some of the worst moments, lots of fun, little interviews. That's right. Interviews. We've got a fun little episode for you that you want to check out on new year's day. And then we'll be back to you on the eighth with a brand new episode of what happened when, when we celebrate the very first edition of Thursday thunder, which is, uh, what we've been building towards this entire pay-per-view or so it feels, but Tony, it feels like it's about that time. And our main event coming up. One more main event now has been added to start K 97. And let's take a look at this gigantic six man tag team match. Team number one from Huntsville, Alabama. It's Conrad Thompson. Wait a minute. Uh, Conrad could not make it. All right. Uh, l- l- let's keep going on. His tag team partner from Mexico City, Mexico, Dave Silva. Hang on a second. I've been handed a note. Dave Silva's a no-show. And their tag team partner from Mechanicsville, Virginia. Here is lazy-ass Matt Coon. And hang on. Uh, Matt Coon said he couldn't get out of his uh, lounge chair. Uh, he's a no-show. Well, there's nobody on this side. Uh, and let's see uh, on the other side. Uh, uh, coming in, weighing at uh, 460 pounds, here is Lois Rules. Wait a minute. She's a no-show, too. Hang on. I've been given a note that uh, she can't get off. Uh, she can't get off Facebook in time to make it here. So she and now making her way to the ring. Here is her tag team partner. Let's bring in Deborah McMichael. Hang on. Deborah just got a degree in criminal justice. The master. She says she's done with wrestling. And uh, now uh, finally. Uh, we only have one person. Let's bring her to the ring. Here comes Medusa. Oh, and she's coming to the ring with uh, on a motorcycle with Tony Schiavone on the back. Looks like it's going to be one-on-one between Tony Schiavone and Medusa with all these fucking no-shows. It's WCW, and we're out of time. See you next week on What Happened When Monday. The world